The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Special edition of Voices of Wrestling. I am Rich Grage alongside, as always, internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist Joe Lanza and one of the other three pillars of Voices of Wrestling, co-host of Shake Them Ropes, Rob McCarran. Rob, how are you? I'm doing fantastic the last 20 minutes, uh, notwithstanding. <laughs> well, Joe and I are used to this. Yeah, we're having some connection issues, but that's fine. We, we, we did it. Now we sound fantastic. We sound great. And it's not going to disconnect and everything's going to work for this entirely. It, it, yeah, it's so amazing. because whole Hall of Fame show. We, so. Joe, Jeff and I never have these issues when we do shake them ropes. We get in, we shake the ropes, we leave, we're done. Happiness. <laughs> like we never. Yeah, it's also get done in an hour. And, and Joe and I will take on four hours and not even get over half the topics we wanted to talk about. So Yeah, no, I'm You're in just... the spa when you guys are just getting going. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Joe's here, by the way. Joe's the quietest Joe has ever been. Hi. I like how you said three pillars because um, that will tie into, I think, what we're going to talk about later because uh, here at <laughs> Tauway, because three of the pillars are already in this Hall of Fame and uh, the fourth is having a lot of trouble. So did there? So did there? Uh, See? Foreshadowing, Joe. Yeah, so that was uh, – Rich, I, I, I strongly doubt you did that on purpose. No, I did. Rich, I did. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll give you credit then. Nice job. Nice job out of you. That was that was that was crafty, and I think uh, uh, hopefully the listeners picked up on it too. I know I did. <laughs> well, anyway, what we're talking here, of course, is the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, and we all three of us had ballots. So this is essentially going to be a show where we're going to kind of talk about uh, who we voted for, who we didn't vote for, or why we voted for them, why we didn't vote for him. Just sort of a discussion on our ballots of of, of you know how we came to these conclusions and and how confident we are in our ballots and all that other good stuff. Um, this isn't going to be, if you're looking for like the breakdown of every single candidate, that, that's not this podcast. We've had articles that did that. There's, you know, podcasts throughout the, the, the Twitter sphere and the, and the internet that have done that pretty well as well. Last year we did that, you know, extensively. We went through every single category and, and broke every guy down. That's not what this is going to be. This is mostly going to be about who we did, voted for, why we voted for them, our decision-making behind that vote, all that sort of stuff. So if you're looking for the, the, Definitive breakdown of Big Daddy or, you know, Jackie Pollo, this is probably not the place for you. But if you're here to talk about, uh, you know, you know, modern and all that stuff and, and why we voted for him, this is a good place to go. And I think it's going to be a pretty fun podcast uh, to get it started. So any, any category you guys want to start with, we all three of us are voting in the same categories. Is there one you want to start off with or, or, or one that you feel particularly strong about either one of you guys? You know, I mean... Honestly, we can talk about what was alluded to with Japan. We can talk the modern candidacy just because, at least on my ballot, there are more candidates that I'm voting for on the modern ballot this year than anything else combined. Well, yeah, let's start with modern then. Uh, so obviously, Joe, you and, you and I are both doing the modern uh, in U.S. and Canada candidates as well. I'm going to break down everybody that's on the list first, and then, uh, Rob, I'll let you do the honors of, of saying who you're voting for and why, and then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So here's the modern performers in U.S. Canada candidates for this year, 2015. Wrestling Observer Ballot, you have Brian Danielson slash Daniel Bryan, 
Junkyard Dog, Edge, Kurt Hennig, Ivan Koloff, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, CM Punk, Big Show, Sergeant Slaughter, Sting, AJ Styles, and Ultimate Warrior. Now, Rob, you are going to do the, the the initial honors here and take the plunge. Who are you voting for and why? All right, well, I'll start with who I voted for last year. Uh, last year, the 2014 ballot of the modern candidates, I voted for the Rock and Roll Express, Brock Lesnar, and the Junkyard Dog. So one of the three got in. The Rock and Roll Express, the only ones to get in of the regular balloting last year. Um, so I am going to repeat my ballot for Junkyard Dog and Brock Lesnar while also adding in the big three in my mind. Brian Danielson slash Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, and Randy Orton. My, my candidates from the modern era going in are Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, CM Punk, Brian Danielson slash Daniel Bryan, and the Junkyard Dog. All right, Joe, where do you disagree? Where, where's Rob being stupid at? What, what's he doing wrong? Uh, <laughs> I, oh, I see what this was all set up no, for I now. Know, it's not, no, wow, I'm this guy's I got the no... pillars down. He's got the let's make fun of Rob at, out of the gate down. Man, why did I no, agree to let you host? Not... But no, I just thought Joe would have a, there, there's a one particular guy that I know. Well, Joe, uh, maybe that, that's a good idea. What Rob did is sort of talk about who you voted for last year. Cause you guys obviously both had ballots this year. This year is my first one or ballots last year. This is my first year. Joe, who'd you vote for last year? And then maybe react to Rob's list before you give yours. In this category last year, I voted for rock and roll express. That was it. Mm-hmm. So uh, then they got in and this year you guys are going to kill me. But as of this recording, I have not finalized my ballot. Because uh, I'm still uh, thinking over a few things. Well, listen, I'm a thorough (laughs) man, Rich. I'm a thorough man, okay? I cannot have deadlines set except for the uh, deadline uh, Dave imposed. I was going to say, hopefully that deadline. (laughs) There's a deadline, all right. That's an important one. This is my third year voting, and both of the previous— Like the 1159 guy, right? I'm the 1159 guy. In fact, one year I I sent a second one with a correction because I changed my mind after I hit (laughs) send on the first one. So I'm I'm a, I'm a late uh, I'm very late to send my ballot this year. As of right now, though, I have one name uh, from this category on my ballot, and 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 as you know, Rich, I'm a very very conservative voter. In mm-hmm. fact, I only have three names. Period. Non his uh, non uh, of the of actual wrestlers, and then four non wrestlers for seven names total on my ballot as of this moment. And in this category, it's it's uh, Brian Danielson. Okay, and and so I'll sort of echo that. We, I think this is a good jump-off point, and I'll kind of give my thoughts as we go on. We'll go down these guys right now. That So, Joe, you have Brian Danielson. Rob, you have Brian Danielson. I have him as well. Maybe I'll start with you, Rob. Why is he such an easy candidate for you, and why have all three of us, do you think, voted for him? And, and pretty much decisively, I think. Yeah, I mean, honestly, to me, Brian Danielson, uh, out of everyone in this category, probably checks every box the most. Uh, uh, Brian Danielson... You know, we we look back and we try to look back as far as drawing record and being a box office uh, bring in Brian Danielson. It's tough to gauge the Ring of Honor. It really is. And I and I watched Ring of Honor from the first day Brian Danielson was in that company, going to several, several events per year with Brian Danielson on top and events without Brian Danielson on the card. And, and I lived through it. And I and I you know, it's one of those variables where. Um, I mean, I can be inside that building and I can follow this company and know that Brian Danielson is just a much bigger deal than almost anyone else that's there. And at times more than anyone else that was there and then see what he did into WWE. Um, and I kind of mix his WrestleMania 30 with both being a box office draw. Cause let's face it. He was in two matches on that show. He was in the main event of that show. The show was built around 
Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania 30, and at the time was the highest grossing WrestleMania of all time. Uh, so you can't knock it just because, oh, well, he's one of three guys and the other one's a Hall of Fame candidate and Randy Orton. Um, importance, that WrestleMania 30 also goes to his influence. Because if this guy weren't such a crowd favorite, if this guy hadn't worked the way he was, if this guy, you know, wasn't on that show, WrestleMania 30, the landscape of 2014 for WWE is completely different than what it ended up being. Uh, so for influence on that alone, I think he checks that box, but also the influence of being, you know, one of the most successful indie guys of the 2000s to make it into WWE. And then work rate, I don't think I have to spend and we too much time. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, <laughs> probably if there is one category that one person is going to cement their name onto out of everyone on this ballot, Brian Danielson for work rate gets it. Uh, more so than AJ Styles and other guys who are, you know, tabulated basically on work rate sometimes alone. You know, Brian Danielson checks that box and he checks it harder than anyone else does. Uh, so I, I think he checks all three boxes. I have Brian Danielson slash Daniel Bryan going in, and uh, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, Joe, Joe, what do you think about it? I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit when we did our previous show. I mean, he's a guy that, that you know, Rob at the end mentioned the in-ring stuff. And that's really, you know, and I'm glad he did that because he sort of built it up in the sense that like, hey, he's got this. Hey, he's got this. And I agree with everything that he said. I think, you know, Brandon Howard did a great article on our website sort of looking at the drawing power of Daniel Bryan at Ring of Honor. And, you know, some people have issues with looking at, you know, Ring of Honor drawing records because they're only bringing in, you know, 900 people or, you know, 1,000 people or whatever, you know, in some cases. Five. To me, I think that's you have to put stuff on relative scale. I mean, yeah, he was it, it but I'm not even getting into that. You look at his drawing record and look at that sort of stuff. There's that. You know, there's influence, which which I agree with Rob. There's there's a ton of influence there. And I think on the indies as well. He just is such an influential figure on the indies, a big part of what made Ring of Honor what it is and, and what Ring of Honor is today. They can lend a lot of that to to Daniel Bryan being that guy who was just the the, the he was the man on that company. He was just a big deal in that company. He was a great in-ring worker. He was, you know, a main eventer, even when he wasn't in what would you would call the main event or world title picture? His matches always felt important. Like Rob said, I was there for those. And Joe, I know you were too. And then again, the third part, which is, is the thing that I think you'll most harp on, Joe, because I know you and I have talked about this. The guy's an absolute just unbelievable stud of an in-ring worker. He, he is the, the wrestler of the generation. He's the wrestler of the 2000s. In-ring, there's pretty much nobody who will disagree or, or, or argue with you that he isn't great or wasn't good or whatever. To me, he only needs that. Everything else is just the cherry on top. He's got that. I mean, he's so, as Dave mentions when, you know, in the criteria, you have to be so overwhelmingly positive in one category. His in-ring is, is, is so overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. He's absolutely in it for me based off that alone. But then you add those other things. And like Rob said, I think he ticks the boxes. But Joe, anything you agree or disagree with or you think that, that you know, he, he's a shoe in no doubt? If there was a candidate on this ballot who was one of the greatest drawing cards of all time, there would be absolutely no debate and everyone who had nearly every, I won't say everyone because there's always these strange outliers who do stupid things in any hall of fame voting. Um, there would be virtually no one who wouldn't vote for that person if they were one of the greatest drawing cards of all time. So with that in mind, I can't fathom not voting for this man because he's one of the greatest in-ring workers of all time. And to me, that makes him an absolute slam dunk as much as anyone who's ever been an absolute slam dunk because as, as the criteria reads, he ticks one of the boxes in such an overwhelming fashion that it's laughable to argue against that. 
And I really don't understand the mindset of anyone who isn't voting for this guy unless their mindset is that of, well, he's too close to the peak of his career or I'm afraid he's going to come back and, and do some more things. The fact of the matter is for me, if he never wrestles another match, he's a slam dunk. And there's a chance he might not. I do believe he'll come back because I think he loves wrestling and I think he will wrestle again at some point, but it won't matter. I do think his career has already peaked. Unlike a guy like Shinsuke Nakamura or AJ Styles, where their careers may not have peaked yet and they still have a lot of solid work in front of them, I think it's safe to say that this guy's career has peaked. I don't, yeah, how can he top, you know, main eventing a WrestleMania and, and wrestling twice in one night? And, you know, so, you know, to me, he's an absolute slam dunk in the category of work. And I really don't care about the other, you know, it, it's like you guys said, you guys made very interesting points uh, that he does add in the other two, he does tick the other two boxes. Uh, maybe not at a Hall of Fame level. I'm not so sure he's a Hall of Fame level draw. I'm not so sure he has Hall of Fame influence. You can argue either way, but to me, it doesn't matter because he's such an overwhelmingly right, great Right, the conversation's over after the that, that For me, the conversation's over. And in fact, I'll go a step further. I'm on record on one of on our podcasts saying I would have voted for this guy before he ever stepped foot in a WWE ring. And, and I mean that. And I meant it when I said it, and I mean it today. He's that good in the ring. And yeah, if, there's, if, if there was anyone that was a comparable draw to what he brings to the table as a wrestler, we wouldn't even be talking about right. this. Yeah, I, April of 2014 is when I would say, okay, if, if you needed anything else, that's the month where you got it from, <laughs> from Brian Danielson. And, I mean, you look at, if you want to argue with someone who's going to say, well, he's a great worker, but he's nothing else, uh, you can look back at Ring of Honor up to 2008 when Daniel Bryan was there you know, one of the co-main events of the highest drawing Ring of Honor show of all time. When he when he main event against Lance Storm at the WrestleMania 22 weekend, I believe it was in Chicago. Yep. That main event with Lance Storm was the highest attended Ring of Honor show up to that point as well. Um, I, and this guy was drawing crowds that Ring of Honor had never seen before. He drew the eyeballs of WWE to get them to sign him a second time at his size and at his reputation. So, I, I mean, this guy was drawing eyes from everybody and, and he went into WWE and you can say he's not a level draw, a Hall of Fame level draw. You can say WWE, the brand name draws the money. But if you look at the facts and look at what WWE did draw, highest grossing WrestleMania of all time. I, I, I just, yeah. I mean, I think That's you can, yeah. you have the arguments for those who are going to say only, only tips that one box, but Joe's right. I mean, you look at work it rate alone yeah. <laughs> after you get there, ignore the other two categories. Right. Brian Danielson is, um, but that's where, I mean, another person on my ballot, CM Punk, you can't really say that for CM Punk, although I think, and I've seen you write this before, at least you have said it to me, uh, CM Punk, a guy I'm voting for, and it sounds like a guy that, you know, Joe is not voting for when it comes to the influence in the business as well as I, I'd even give him work rate, even though I think CM Punk personally is pretty sloppy in the ring and his matches don't do that well for me on the on the high end. Um, CM Punk is a guy in influence who I think after quitting WWE is a guy we're going to be talking about 10 years from now. He's going to be like a Steve Austin guy where 15 years after he quits wrestling, people are still going to wonder when he's coming back in the ring and he's just going to be laughing at all of us because he's not. Yeah, I, I think before you know, before Joe gives his thoughts, Sam Punk is a guy as well that you sort of move the conversation to, and I guess that's a good spot to to do it. He's a guy I'm absolutely voting for. I, I have him as a yes. Joe, are you? Where do you stand on him? And then we'll kind of go from there. I'm fence sitting on him, um, and at this point, I am legitimately fifty fifty. 
I, 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 well, that's I think no fun. Either, that's not a hot take at all. <laughs> it's not a hot take, but it's an honest take. All right. I, 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 I can legitimately go either way. And, Joe, I, and I feel the same way about three other guys in this, in this bucket. So, all right. Um, Joe Lanza is 50, 50 on CM Punk. I have a quarter in my hand. All right, Joe. <laughs> and then we're going to react to whatever the quarter does. And heads. He's in happy at him. head heads. You vote for CM Punk tails. You don't listen. Um, <laughs> I, I am a man who refused a hookup with a disabled woman uh, two weeks ago. I have more integrity than to give my vote uh, based on a flip of a coin. So um, I, 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 am, I am not going to allow this. Jeez. I am going to continue to put further thought into this until 1159, <laughs> three days from now when the ballot is due. So That's good um, because it came up tails, so let's ignore that coin toss. <laughs> but I guess here, I'll, I'll jump in with my thoughts, and, and Rob, you sort of mentioned it as well. Uh, the reason for CM Punk and the reason I'm voting for him, and, and he's a guy who even I mentioned last year, um, you know, he didn't have a ballot, but I wrote a, a really extensive article about him sort of looking at him. And I was like, I was like, this is a guy that that essentially I understand that there are some people. And again, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit who are sort of voting strategically because of the 15 year rule. And there there's some older guys that they want in before they get in the modern guys and all that sort of stuff. If you want to do that, and if that's the way you're going to operate with the Hall of Fame, that's fine. Do that. But I think everybody needs to sort of understand this isn't a guy who really needs to do anything more, at least in my book. I think he's there. If you don't want to vote for him right now because you have 10 other guys and you're in the Luch category and you're filling that up and you want to get that all going or whatever, that's fine. But I think you'd be really weird. I, I just don't know how you can make an argument that he doesn't deserve to get in based off a few different things. As we mentioned again, we'll go back to those three criteria. I'll use influence first. The influence there, and I wrote about this last year, and I, I stand by this, and I really do, and I think more people are sort of jumping onto it and sort of realizing it as well, which is pretty nice, is that what, what WWE is right now, a lot of it, in terms of the roster and the structure of the roster, is in a lot of way influenced by CM Punk. CM Punk was, and people will argue with me with, with random names that I dis- completely disagree with, he was the first indie guy to make it in that company. And for them to really get behind and say, yes, you are, you are, you came from that background, but we don't care. You're going to be a star in our company. And they did from almost from the beginning that he was there. People like to think that he was sort of like, he needed the promo to, you know, the, the shoot promo, or the pipe bomb to get up to the, he was almost from the beginning pushed at ECW almost from the beginning push when he went to SmackDown, you know, one money in the banks, one titles, did that sort of stuff. They almost went with him right away. And he's a guy who, who came from that indie background. He doesn't have a great body. He doesn't have, he's not super tall. He's not you know, in a ton of great, you know, really awesome shape or whatever. He had so many things working against him that so often would, would guys wouldn't get there. You know, you're, you're, there's numerous guys we can talk about of, of past indie stars that just couldn't reach that level. There's guys like, and I mentioned in my article, like a guy like a Donovan Morgan. I know you guys remember him when he was like the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, no, he's like five foot six. No, he's not the next, you know, and there was all these different things. Like a Christopher Daniels is a guy too, that in 1999, everybody sort of said this, he's, he's going to be a superstar. And like, he had a great career, but it wasn't that level. CM Punk was that first indie guy to break the mold and say, hey, look, you can get these guys from here from these indies that might not look like all-stars. They might not look like superstars or what you think or whatever, but the guys can, they can work and they can cut promos and they know what they're doing in the ring. And they went with them and he became a huge star off that. And now I, I think it, it'd be silly not to credit him at least in some way for the hiring of, of a, a Brian Danielson. Once he came around again, as you mentioned, Rob, the second time, the hiring of a Seth Rollins, the hiring of a Kevin Owens. I mean, Ring of Honor being that another one of those pipelines. I think a lot of that is from CM Punk breaking that mold and proving to them, hey, look, these guys aren't just indie geeks. They can actually do something. Yeah, people, and I absolutely believe that. People were talking about Mike Modest and Donovan Morgan like they were the Briscoes. Modest, and, that's a great one, yeah. <laughs> and you know who the Briscoes? The Briscoes. And you know who CM Punk is? CM Punk. I mean, this is a guy that's going to have his name in pro wrestling for the longest period of time. I mean, I'm... 
thinking 15 years in the future when CM Punk is a zero and zero UFC fighter, because he's never fighting in UFC, let's face it, people, um, when he's going into the WWE Hall of Fame, if he ever goes back there, that's going to be like the biggest event of the Hall of Fame that I can see since like maybe now, because I don't I don't see another big name that's going to draw the interest that CM Punk would draw in based on everything that's gone around with him and the company over the last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the influence is there, is there, I think you give him too much credit for his early start in WWE. Cause you know, he was a, he was the guy that they put on TV because they knew the ECW audience who was watching that ECW show early on would know who he was, but it's not like he was really doing much. And, you know, he didn't do much early on SmackDown. I kind of see it as when he won the title off of Jeff Hardy uh, and made his little heel turn after that. That's where the CM Punk that. train took off. That's fine. Yeah. He was, he was, he was, a Heyman was behind him. And then yes. Heyman was out of the picture. They kept pushing him. And then he had a bunch of those like fake Jack Swagger-esque title runs. And then and then I think Rob is right. It wasn't until the Jeff Hardy stuff where No, I agree. I think I think it's important. Truly and legitimately behind. Though. You're right. That he was never he was never completely a guy who was forgotten about or buried, but they didn't really truly believe in him. And, I'm, well, I'm, I'm with Rob's and, time. And not even that, but like that's when they started believing him. But that's also when you can see, like, if you look back on those times, that's when he started working like a main eventer too, not mm -hmm. just in the ring, but also in promos. Yeah, and I think it was an important thing. I think Joe and I, we talked about this last year, and I mentioned in my article as well. People forget that he main evented that SummerSlam with Jeff Hardy over a <laughs> John Cena and Randy Orton match. Like, think about that. That was the main event. And it, and it, it was it was almost the most pushed match. I mean, it was the big part of that show, and they realized it and went with that as the main event over Randy Orton and John Cena. I think that's very significant and shows you sort of where he was at that period. So, again, I talk about the influence. I think he's a slam dunk in terms of influence. In-ring, as you said, Robert, he's a guy who I've always enjoyed his work, but I get that some people don't. He's sloppy. He's not athletic. He's kind of weird. He's he's. But I think as far, as far as like a big match guy, anytime he was put in a position to have a big-time main event level match, I think he delivered almost every single time. I don't recall any sort of you know, CM Punk main events where I said, ah, that was just okay. Like they were all seemed like they were pretty damn good. And he, I, I think by and large was a really good big match worker. There was some stuff, as you mentioned, his first run in, in WWE or his first, you know, few years there. It, I didn't really like his stuff all that much. The, it was the Jeff Hardy feud that really launched him, I think, into superstardom, as you said. And then I think he just kind of went rolling from that on. I think that, you know, obviously the money in the bank five-star match with, with John Cena, that was just incredible. I think his stuff with the rock, even, I mean, the rock was so out of shape and, and CM Punk got a, a really solid match out of him. And then the undertaker WrestleMania match is one that I always look at. And we look at, you know, when we see what undertaker was capable of the year after against Brock Lesnar, and he was just a shell of his former self, even before the concussion happened. And then you look at that CM Punk match and go, Holy shit. Like, that was an all-time great carry job by CM Punk or whatever. CM like, Punk carried that man on his back. That was a like you just nailed it. That was a he worked so hard in that match to carry Undertaker. He worked like a man possessed in that match. I love that match. I like that better than the two right. Triple H Undertaker match. Uh, Undertaker matches. Um, so you're absolutely right about that. I think he's very, 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 very close in all three categories. It sounds like listening to you guys talk, I like him better as a worker than you guys do. Um, yeah, he could be a little sloppy at times. I don't care about that. Was it a good match or not? That's what I care about. Well, I would and, say. And he, and he always, and like Rich said, to me, he always delivered in the big spot. Always in the big spot. And that's what's important to me. Yes. Um, so I, I think I like him as a worker better than you guys. And I think he's real close as a worker to Hall of Fame caliber. I think he's real super close in the influence. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame level draw, but I think if if I was if if someone were to sell me that he's a Hall of Fame level worker and a Hall of Fame level in the influence box, 
that he did enough as a draw to where I would I would you know vote for him uh, without issue. Well, let me ask you this, uh, and let me ask Joe first, but both of you respond. Where do you consider you know promo ability and speaking ability? Would you consider that worker because that's what he's doing on screen, or would you consider that part of the drawing category? It, it's a factor for me. I think I look. I I think he's a. A, a great promo. I think he's one of the the best promos of his era. Probably a top five promo of of his era, um, and and that does factor in for me too. It's like I said. I think this guy is razor close for me. There's just I don't know what it is. There's this intangible thing that just doesn't put him over the top for me, and I and I don't and I can't put my finger on it, and I don't know what it is. But yeah, I I, I absolutely factor in promos. I factor it in too. I, I sort of consider it with the in ring. I think is where I always sort of when I think of a guy, I think of you know what you do once when you're in the the, the confines of a ring or in an arena or something like that's that's sort of what I think of is is so I put it within the in ring. But I guess you could put it either way. But no, I, I definitely do factor it in. And CM Punk is a guy who absolutely for me is a Hall of Fame level. You know, you know, promo as Joe said, one of the best promos ever. You know, I'm a top five guy of this generation. I think is is absolutely fine. And I, I, I I'd be shocked if anybody would really disagree that hard with that. Right. I think he almost. Almost, and like, oh, back in Ring of Honor days was a great promo too. He was the reason mm-hmm. I got into Ring of Honor. Somebody showed me that you know the Raven promo well, that he caught, and I went, "Holy shit! I need to watch this." And then I was yep. hooked. And then I never went back again. You know, then I became a Ring of Honor fan. I am glad. Of this random YouTube video that someone sent. It were like because I download or something <laughs> like that. And I went, "Holy shit! This guy is incredible!" And he hooked me then. And I can't imagine I'm the only person that got hooked by it. I can already see the the feedback from the show is like Rob kept trying to talk over people, and I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, that I, I'm not as well informed That's on your three, speaking patterns as well as you two are with each other. That's true. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the Ring of Honor side because we kind of bring the Ring of Honor side into Brian Danielson because, I mean, five years of his in-ring career and the best in-ring work he had was in Ring of Honor. So with that, it's fair to bring up Ring of Honor and the indie stuff with other people, especially when we talk about CM Punk as a draw. Now, if you're following Ring of Honor around the time where the whole Rob Feinstein thing happened, and the company was teetering and a lot of guys were leaving for TNA because TNA was starting up. You know, the, the first year of Ring of Honor was built on the the awe factor of seeing all these top indie names in the same ring and seeing what, you know, guys like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels could do in a DVD market. But once all those people went to TNA and once the Rob Feinstein thing happened, Ring of Honor is not still around today if CM Punk decided to stick with TNA and not go back to Ring of Honor. CM Punk, the feud with Raven was what got a lot of eyeballs into Ring of Honor. It's one of the reasons that I got into Ring of Honor, like more fully. You're not alone. Absolutely. Raven going in, you know, having, you know, Jeff Hardy making his one appearance and the shock factor of how the crowd responded to him. (laughs) The Willow of the Wisp. Yeah, that's another. Those two things got me into it. But what kept me around was guys like CM Punk and the Raven feud that was happening. And you could see his passion and the promo ability right there. And that promo ability kept a lot of fans around Ring of Honor. And then as CM Punk became a bigger name and the series happened with Samoa Joe where he had the the three big matches and the two two two-hour, one-hour draws, like those matches, he wasn't the the champion. Hey, well, you may not like the match, you know, some and some out there don't like those matches. I prefer the third match that went 40 minutes myself compared to the two-hour long draws. Um, but you may not like the matches, but that got a lot of people talking about Ring of Honor. And and to think that that first hour-long draw was supposed to be Samoa Joe and Steve Carino. And then look what happened at when CM Punk replaced the injured Steve Carino. And that match happened. Like, it was magic after the, at that point. And CM Punk was a big reason that, you know, Ring of Honor succeeded so well in Chicago. A bigger market. You know, shows with CM Punk were drawing 
almost double what shows in Chicago without CM Punk were drawing. So as a drawing factor, I think the fact that Ring of Honor is still around, that he's a big part of that goes to that category. And then I look at the money in the bank where he wrestled John Cena and how well that pay-per-view did to other B shows that were around it at the time. I mean, he talked people into buying that show that may not have bought a regular John Cena versus, you know, Wade Barrett or whatever was going on at that time match. Uh, so I, I think he checks multiple boxes. You know, I'm not as high on his in-ring wrestling ability, but I agree with Joe that he brought it when he had to bring it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting with draws, and, and Joe, sorry to interrupt you real quick, and I think one thing that I wish we had data on, I really wish we got, is merchandise sales. We sort of hear from time to time, and, and you know, I think one of the observer things, he just said, yeah, CM Punk is, you know, leading in merchandise sales over John Cena, and that's all we got. And, like, we didn't get hard data, we didn't get hard figures, we didn't get that sort of stuff. I've gotten some stuff from Chris Harrington where he mentioned, you know, like the DVD that he did, you know, the DVD documentary or whatever sold, you know, super well, and and all that sort of stuff. But it's all, anal- it, it, it's not, anal- we don't get, like, an exact figure or whatever. And I think if you really got data on that i think cm punk again would you would look at a guy and i absolutely think just just for the record i think that merchandise sales should be included in draws i think it's absolutely a part of it but it, it, it i think if you really looked at it i mean and i'm just going from anecdotal stuff of going to shows and just seeing the mass of cm punk shirts at the shows you were at and the stuff and hearing that he was a top you know merchandise seller at a certain point and, and knowing that sort of stuff that's another thing that sort of I, I put in that draw category and i go you know what that's that's important i mean the guy didn't the guy didn't sell t-shirts by accident you know it the, it helped that the t-shirts weren't like horrible he's, <laughs> that's he's, one of the still sell, he's selling them now on pro wrestling exactly, tees. his like, t-shirt he, store is the biggest uh, selling exactly. store they have and I can't imagine that that's something new. And, and I know it's not something new. I know he did that in, in um, you know, WWE as well. We just don't have the data. So it's hard to say, yeah, he was a great merchandise mover because then people say, well, prove it. And it's like, well, there's this one sentence in the Observer that one time. And, you know, Chris Harrington has some things that he can grab from the, you know, the KPIs and, and the quarter three data and all that sort of stuff. You can get some stuff, but we don't have an exact like list. We don't have numbers. We don't have figures. We don't have that sort of stuff. But I just I, I know in my heart of hearts that he absolutely was a huge merchandise mover. And we know today that he still is. And I can't like you said, I can't imagine that's a brand new thing. Thing that all of a sudden happened and that might be the only true draw anymore i mean when you look at wwe ticket sales and how it really doesn't matter who's on the card except for john cena these days how many shirts are being sold and the merchandise from those people are probably the only true draws we can look at the fact that kevin owens is on the main roster the fact that samoa joe was signed is because of their t-shirt moving not the ticket sales that were were coming into wwe and nxt because of those two people so i look at them as pretty true draws and cm punk's a big time seller and uh, let me joe if if CM Punk, his UFC fight, and you may not vote for him this year, but he's still he's still going to be on the ballot in years to come. I truly believe he'll get more than 50% of the vote easy this year. Um, maybe not easy, I don't know. But if he ends up fighting in UFC, and kind of the Brock Lesnar effect, because one of the things I think about Brock Lesnar is he's a draw because of how his USC run did. If he does well in UFC and his first fight uh, you know, goes well and beyond expectations or what previous fights uh, had done... Does that help him in your eyes in the balloting? Does it help to me? Does it help him? I, I want to know. Personally? Does, yeah. Does it help to you personally? Because we're, lo- we're looking at our ballots. Would that help you personally if his UFC run did well? It would mean absolutely zero to me. Okay. It's a professional wrestling hall of fame. And I don't, I don't consider it for Brock Lesnar either. Um, people can talk about Brock Lesnar drawing pro wrestling fans to MMA and using pro wrestling tactics to draw on MMA. I don't consider any of it when I think about Brock Lesnar as a candidate. If this were a pro wrestling slash mixed martial arts Hall of Fame, I would. And the reason I do not is I do believe that that creates a very slippery slope. Because if, if, if I consider that stuff for Brock Lesnar or CM Punk, then you know why wouldn't I consider that stuff for Ken Shamrock? 
If you consider Ken Shamrock's mixed martial arts career, he's an absolute slam dunk. You can't argue against it. And then, and then you start talking about Floyd Mayweather or MMA fighters who had one-offs in pro wrestling. And it just goes down that road that I do not want to go down. And I really think it's a mistake that Dave leaves that in the hands of the, of the voters. Um, I really think, uh, in my opinion, that the MMA stuff should not be considered at all or – Dave should just draw a line in the sand and tell people uh, whether it should or shouldn't. Um, I hate that it's ambiguous. For me personally, CM Punk could main event a UFC show and it could do three million, three million buys, and it's not affecting my opinion on his pro wrestling candidacy at all. I, I, that's just my stance on it. See, it, it's funny because with Brock Lesnar, I don't necessarily consider the UFC buys that he did for including him in the Hall of Fame. What I consider is the fact that his UFC run made him a draw in WWE and made him this more important and influential person in wrestling because that, you know what, Robin, you're probably right. And you, you are right about that. But to me, I don't care what made him a draw. I just care whether he is right, a draw or not. Right. So that's where I'm coming from with that. Yeah. And we're, I think we're, you know, at the end of the day in, in agreement with that, because yeah, I, I care that he's a draw. And it's funny to me that, you know, his, not his wrestling stuff made him a draw, even though early on he had certainly a lot of eyeballs on him. But the fact that he did so well in UFC and is coming back to wrestling made him, you know, a, a bigger draw than if he just went away for 10 years and didn't do anything and came back to wrestling for sure. And and for the influence, because any mainstream story you see right now, and Brock Lesnar certainly gets mainstream attention. I mean, the guy was on SportsCenter several times just talking about SummerSlam and talking about pro wrestling. And any, you know, these Rolling Stones stories you're starting to see now as they cover more in depth with pro wrestling. Everything's, you know, The Rock this and Brock Lesnar that. Uh, so and, you He's know, a cultural icon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he is in pro wrestling in this decade. Like, more people will know who Brock Lesnar is truly believe this than John Cena and John Cena has been around in the pro wrestling world for so long, but more people know who Brock Lesnar is. I, th I just think that goes to the categories for Brock Lesnar. And that's why I, I had him on mine, Rich. Uh, you know, I, I want to know you cause we know Joe only had Brian Danielson in yeah. this one, Brock Lesnar for you. Yes or no. So I, I wrote an article last year uh, about Brock Lesnar. I broke it down. And I said, yeah, he's absolutely a hall of famer for me though. I'm not voting him in this year. And the reason why I'm doing it, and it's something that Joe brought up a little bit earlier, earlier with Brian Danielson, where I think that Brian Danielson's peak in the career and, and basically his resume, I think is pretty well done. I think Brian Danielson has locked up his resume. If he comes back and does some stuff, it, it, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll do this. It'll do that. I don't know if it's going to do monumental business. I don't know if it's going to be like legendary in-ring stuff. I don't know what it's going to – I feel like he's sort of as uh, – Rob, I think you said it as well. Is that WrestleMania, he, he, he pins, you know, <laughs> Batista or makes Batista tap in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania, and that's it. I said right there, boom, that guy's he, – he's reached his peak. That's the zenith of Daniel Bryan. I don't know if we've seen that yet with Brock Lesnar, and that's why I'm not going to vote for him this year. Even though I think he has a, a, a great resume and absolutely deserves it, I want to see the guy, and I want to see what he can do for the next few years. I want to see if he can really cement his legacy, cement that resume, and then I can say he's a no, absolute no-doubter, not even question it in two years, or even in a year. If It might even be it, because I mean, we've seen this year, they've, they've pretty much programmed the WWE Network for the last half of the year on him. They've completely changed the way that they operate the network based off of him, and that, that, I think that's really cool, and I'm interested to see how the next year sort of goes. So for me, I'm holding off right now just because I want him to really fill out that resume. I really want him to so, sort of prove what he's capable of doing and, and, and build more of a, of, a, of, of a resume. And then I can say, absolutely, there's no question. He's an absolute no-doubter like I did with Daniel Bryan. I think Brock is in, and I would say if, it, if there was a gun to my head, I would probably vote for him. But he's a guy, I just feel more comfortable doing that. We're going to talk about a, a few guys later as well. I like guys that sort of have done have done everything in their career that I think they're going to do and have made the resume. I think Brock has some stuff to make. 
and I would rather him get in that way. Get in after you've really said, okay, this is Brock Lesnar and this is his resume. I don't think I think he's still building it. And I, I just don't feel comfortable voting a guy that I still think is building his resume. If if he stopped tomorrow and never came back to wrestling, yes. so he's not in for you then? No, he's in. Okay, so I mean I just, I, I'm not comfortable doing, I, I don't like, I, and I've mentioned that we, we, we talk about too, and I've mentioned this, this is how I always am with every right. Hall of Fame, this is how I am with ranking players and, you know, all-time greats or whatever. I just, I, there's something about it, there's something disingenuous to me at least about voting for somebody who, who hasn't built it all up yet. I, I like to just see a completed career, at least in my mind, and then sort of vote for him then, then when I really feel comfortable about it. Because right now, yeah, I believe he is a Hall of Famer, but I, I, I just, I want to see what's ahead. I want to see you know, I feel like it feels better if in a year he main events at WrestleMania and it does insane and it's it's an all-time great or whatever. And then we have the same conversation next year and we go, oh, my God, can we? you can't even argue Brock Lesnar. He's such a no-doubter. To me, that feels better than putting him in now and then sort of next year he does all this other stuff. And then the year after that, he's doing other stuff. I, it, it's always been a, a pet peeve with me with the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame with yeah. guys that are current that are in that I think still have time to sort of build their stuff. It, it's just something I have. It's a pet peeve I have. But I, I think he's in regardless this year. So I don't think it's going to matter one way or another what I do. That's just how I personally feel about it. So, I'm, Yeah, I'm, not, I'm just not the biggest fan of all the self-imposed rules that a lot of uh, voters give. And I probably have some that I'm not even thinking of right now. But like, you know, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, people will max out their ballots just because, you know, why not? I have all these votes. I should use them. Um, and, and in this case, you know, if if you think they're in, they're in to me. You know, I'm. If you think they're a Hall of Famer right now, then what are they going to do to, you know, change your mind in the negative? Like, are they all the, all of a sudden just going to give tickets away? I mean, I if Brock Lesnar is in, he's in. I, I think you you hit the nail for ranking. If you were going to rank Brock Lesnar, if you're thinking of the top five wrestlers in WWE all time and Brock Lesnar's resume isn't completed and he might move up or down, that's fine. But Hall of Fame is a yes or no to me. And if he's a yes, then he's a yes. I agree. It's a yes or no for me, too. I don't really... Um... If I'm on the fence with someone, obviously, that's another story. But if I thought Brock Lesnar was in, if he retired right now, I'd vote for him uh, today, even though he has some career in front of him. The other thing I don't like, and, and Rich, I'm not accusing you of this, because yeah. I know that you agree with me on this next point very strongly. I know that you do, because we've talked about it. And uh, another thing that I don't like when it comes to this Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, any Hall of Fame, is when people say, I think he's a Hall of Famer, but I don't think he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. That is the most bullshit I, fucking argument. I hate, hate that. that. Hate it you're absolutely. You're either a Hall of Famer or you are not a Hall of Famer. There is no special plaque or designation for first ballot. There is no special, you're a special Hall of Famer. No. You, if you think someone's a Hall of Famer, fucking vote for them. None of right. this I'm going to wait till next year because I don't think he's the elite of the elite. I loathe that no I, I, and i'm joe and we've had this discussion and you know i agree and, and especially you know I'm, i might the way i said it here is you know i don't like voting for some of the current guys the guys that are doing that for baseball i don't care i mean these guys have been retired for many many years and i'm of the yep. belief that these guys should be on the ballot one year and you know if, if you think you know do your research do all this sort of stuff or maybe you know if you want to make it two years or whatever but if you don't if you can't do enough research and you can't figure out that burt blylevin's a hall of famer the first two years he's on the ballot then fuck it it's done it's over this like guys getting in 13 years afterwards or whatever when they've legitimately not done anything new like at least it, with, with this hall of fame you have a guy who can sort of build onto his resume or hurt his resume in some way or if, if you want and, I, you and know with, and tim reigns isn't doing anything like what the hell is tim reigns doing but with wrestling too there's research that's constantly done and new information sure. that's unearthed so that's why it's a slightly different 
different situation. Um, I'm not as hardline as you. I, I think it's a you know I, I, they did cut it down from 15 years to 10 though mm-hmm. baseball. So I they are that because then I think people still kind of kick the rocks down you know for for five years on guys and they go okay I guess I, b- I better vote on this guy now. It's like no 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 it's you know put him in whatever the, the first ballot thing is so I had this I like cannot stand this. I had this phobia that Frank Thomas wasn't going to get in. And I was just ready to argue. And I was so glad when he did get in because I was like, if, if that guy isn't like, you know, it's my all-time favorite player, you know, you know, plays for my favorite team or whatever. And he was a guy that I was thinking of is like, if you can't say that he's a first, like, it's just so silly that people are going to be like, well, you know, like, I, 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 Babe Ruth wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, so how could Frank Thomas? It's like, shut up. Just stop. <laughs> like, you, belong in, you belong in, you're in. But yeah, when it comes to Brock Lesnar, He's another guy I'm fence sitting on, and the reason I'm leaning no on Brock Lesnar is it's Rich's fault because I read Rich's I read Rich's piece that he wrote last year, and I'm not buying into Brock Lesnar as a draw right now because it's very clear from the research Rich did on on Brock Lesnar's first life as a wrestler that he had no influence on the box office, uh, particularly with pay per views. He just and in fact, you could argue that he was a negative influence on the pay per view. You know, the, the pay per views he headlined did worse business. Uh, if I recall from the article, then mm-hmm. then, then the pay per views he did not headline, and now on this, you know, the the, the second life, the post UFC life of Brock Lesnar, uh, back in pro wrestling, he has a very minimal effect on the you know in the pay per view era before the network era because now we don't know, and and so you know when when it was still the pay per view era in his second life, he he yeah his his main events bumped things a little. But not enough to where it was a Hall of Fame level, where it was like when The Rock comes back and there's you know a, a, a tangible Hall of Fame level effect on business. Brock didn't provide that, and we don't know now with the, with the network. So I think I want to wait it out and see what his true effect on the network is. Because as we've seen, they're stacking Brock Lesnar appearances on the network very strategically to try to bump the, the network uh, subscriptions before the quarterly reports. So we will have definitive numbers on the impact that Brock Lesnar has on network purchases, which for pay-per-views, he has not been a pay-per-view level, uh, he has not been a Hall of Fame level draw on pay-per-views in either of his lives. And you convinced me of that, Rich. So that's all your fault. <laughs> and then if you want to take it a step further, he Mark's was an absolute... And now listen, and he was an absolute bomb in Japan. And that's something that I don't think enough people bring up. He absolutely bombed in Japan. He was a disaster in every conceivable way from the fact that his matches didn't draw and his matches were bad and he didn't give a shit and he didn't have any respect for what he was doing over there either, which that counts for me too. Okay, Uh, so, I mean, his Japan run was an absolute disaster. He's not a Hall of Fame level draw, in my opinion, to this point. Where I do think he's a Hall of Famer is the totally non-tangible, when you turn on your TV and he's on the screen, that motherfucker is a Hall of Famer. Do you know what I mean by that? You know when you're watching a Hall of Famer, and Brock Lesnar is a Hall of Famer. When Brock Lesnar wrestles a match, you feel like you're watching a Hall of Famer. When Brock, Les- Brock Lesnar's aura is that of a Hall of Famer. But the fact is, you, you can't back that up with any sort of data uh, or facts that, that push him over the top to make him a Hall of Famer. Now, I, you know, I, I feel like at some point, I'm going to vote for Brock Lesnar. I just don't think it's going to be this year. And actually, I don't even think it's going to matter because I think he gets in this year. He's in, I think he's in no doubt this year. He was at, uh, I have the number in front of me. He was at, what, 56, I think, last year. Let me fire it up real quick. I thought it was that. I mean, he, he was teetering there. Uh, 56, yeah, he was 56 last year. He was teetering, and I think this year only helped him. So I, I think he's in no doubter in this year. Yeah, thank uh, you. Rob, well, go, I wanted, go ahead. on that note of the draws, because uh, I, you mentioned The Rock and when he came back, and that... That Rock Survivor Series match in 2011, 
you know, the the pay-per-view from the year before went up 40,000 buys, went from 240 to 280. When Brock Lesnar showed up in his first big pay-per-view, Extreme Rules was his return to the company against John Cena. That pay-per-view went up 30,000 buys. On SummerSlam, when he had his first big match coming back, from the previous year, his pay-per-view went up 60,000 buys. I mean, Brock Lesnar had a bigger buy impact, and you can argue Survivor Series is not as big a show as SummerSlam, and that's probably part of it. But even counting in for that, I still think that you know the return rate is pretty even on those two. And I, I absolutely agree. Nothing he did in his first WWE run, except for maybe work rate, uh, helps him at all. You know, the matches he had with The Rock and Kurt Angle before his injury were were pretty great, but. Nothing that he did in that first run really helps him. It's all about what happens when he came back. You know, Japan, he he stunk up the place. That's fine. But when he came back, you know, he has a positive impact on the numbers. The the Japan special on the network, you know, that aired earlier this year was the most watched uh, single day airing of any show in network history. They came out with a press release. They announced, you know, who was watching it. And they and it blew away everything else. It blew away all the live NXTs. It blew away the live you know, and as far as non-pay-per-view events, it blew away everything. Uh, so Brock Lesnar had an impact on what people are watching and how people are watching it on the network. So I think there's some data there. There may well, not be Rob, enough. Here's, here's the thing, though, Rob. I'm not denying that he's a draw. I'm denying that he's a Hall of Fame level draw. And I think that that's a, a distinction, too, that sometimes gets kind of lost in the ether. You can be a draw. You can be a star. You can be a great worker, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a Hall of Fame right, level draw right. or a Hall of Fame level star or a Hall of Fame level worker. And I just I, I'm not comfortable saying that Brock Lesnar is a Hall of Fame level draw at this point. Yeah, and, that, and that's I, I why can see that he's a draw, though. There's no question. I wanted to bring it up to the rock, and that's why we kind of have a little yeah. time from there, because no one else we can really compare to. We can't say that, oh, you know, this pay-per-view went up 10,000 buys because the Dudley boys were back. You know, so we, 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 <laughs> we haven't I, seen, we haven't seen yet. <laughs> we, we haven't seen yet. So I tried to go somewhat to the rock there. I wish the rocks yeah. first match honestly came back at, you know, SummerSlam, and this would have been a little bit easier to kind of tell. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, and that's kind of, you kind of have to play with the numbers and that, and I think that's to your point, that's to your guys's point where you're not voting for Brock Lesnar yet. Cause you in a way have to play with the numbers to push it to Brock Lesnar's side. I understand that, but I, I think the numbers are there and, uh, Brock Lesnar's on my ballot, but rich. We've gone through my ballot. We got Joe in the modern category. He's voting for Brian Danielson. We have mine, Junkyard Dog, Brian Danielson, CM Punk, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar. Before we get to this heated Randy Orton debate that I know yes. is coming, <laughs> I, what is your complete modern uh, candidates that you have at this moment so we can go from there? Yeah, all right. Well, there, there's one that you and I share as well, and that's Junkyard Dog. I think Junkyard Dog has has a great resume. I've I've been reading a lot of the research that's been done by a lot of those guys, a lot of the guys at PWO, you know, pressing only. A lot of the the Observer has has talked about it as well. I think that guy whose positives outweighs negatives. I mean, he had a, the longevity isn't quite there, but I think the drawing record and once people have done a little bit more of the research of looking at what an impact he had on you know mid south in the '80s and stuff, and you look at a guy who who's another one as well that I think is just. I won't say as much of a cultural icon as some of the other rock and wrestling guys, but he, he's right up there. He's a guy that I think a lot of people, especially of that era or people that remember that era of wrestling, remember him. And I just think looking at the research and looking at the stuff, a terrible worker. I, I thought he was a really bad worker. But then again, you know, people paid to see the guy, you know, wrestle. And it, it's, you know, what we sort of assume that today's worker 
cards are is, is not what it was then. And that's why, you know, we talk about stuff evolving all the time. And, you know, this guy wasn't really needed to go out there and have, you know, five-star level matches or whatever. People just wanted to see him dance and <laughs> do his thing. And and people, you know, paid in droves to go see him. So he's a guy that, looking at the research, he's a guy that I absolutely think is in. Another guy as well that I've been reading a lot of research on and, and really started to believe it after last year, uh, and Dave did a great job in the Observer last year talking about this guy. Um, he, he's been very active uh, in terms of you know getting his name out there, and people have been active of getting his name out there. And that's Ivan Koloff is a guy who really, really once you look at a lot of the research, is a guy that it's hard to make an argument that he's not a, you know Hall of Fame level guy. He's a you know a, a really good in ring worker, a, a great draw in the '60s and '70s. You know had one of the biggest matches ever with Bruno, you know, in the WWF territory and, you know, MSG, a big thing. And just when you look at his stuff and you look at his track record, and you look at everything and the research that's been done to me, he's a guy that absolutely deserves to get in. And it's sort of a, a guy that I see sort of struggling as well. And, and it's, it's, it's odd considering his, his strengths and, and what he brings to the table in terms of, you know, you know, an all time grade and, and just ticking a lot of the boxes that you asked for, for this wrestling observer hall of fame. So my entire ballot is, um, for the modern candidates is Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, Junkyard Dog, uh, Ivan Koloff, and CM Punk. And that is it for me. So no Randy Orton, unfortunately. So let's let us debate. All right. First question, and I know the answer, and Joe knows the answer, and everyone else knows the answer. Uh, Randy Orton is not one that you are just waiting for him to complete, no. right? No, Randy Orton is not at all for me. All right. So there is this wonderful piece at VoicesOfWrestling.com. It is entitled, Is Randy Orton a Draw? Ooh. If you, if you Google search, is Randy Orton a draw? <laughs> it is the number one thing that will come you, up. If you'd search like Randy Orton, I think one of the pictures from that comes up like super, because we still get like 500 views a week on it. And I've, I'm, I'm positive the people that are looking at it do not care if Randy Orton's a draw, but. Excellent. Or maybe they do. You know what? But, <laughs> Excellent. I hope they do. I hope, I hope everyone goes and reads they go this there because they click it anyway. They, 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 at some point they're interested. So hopefully they're fans for life after they do that. So yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I see this as going to be a little debate. Randy Orton, I think a little bit is my bias because he was one of the first guys when I started watching wrestling, you saw him from start to finish. And this is kind of what, you know, there are a lot of guys out there now. Brian Danielson is one. CM Punk is one. The guys that you didn't come into and just all of a sudden see the peak of their career. You didn't see what the struggles were before you. I, I saw Randy Orton from start to finish and you both have seen Randy Orton from start to finish. And you obviously don't think he's a Hall of Famer yet. Um, what would be the category he lacks the most of that? Because I I check him in the work rate box. I think when he's called for a big level and even when when he deems it an important match, which sometimes could be a main event on Raw, which sometimes could be a middle of the card match on a WrestleMania, when it is an important match to Randy Orton, he brings it and he has, uh, you know, a number of these four and greater star matches. He has a number of four and a half star matches. I'm blanking right now on the five star matches if there are any. I'll have to I check on that. There are any. If there are any, because honestly, there may not be. But uh, when he brings it, what? Uh, what? Keep going. I, I'm chomping at the bit here. You? But. Oh, you just wait there, Joe. You yeah, just, I'm gonna go first, and then I'll let Joe. I'm gonna I'm gonna make Joe wait a little. You bit, you I'll start wait. swiping, and we'll see where we get to on this. Um, but <laughs> wow, <laughs> Randy. Okay, a so little, wherever I am, swiping, as if as if I haven't been. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I pretty much you know assume that. Excited um, about the what's what's the new thing that's coming to Tinder? It's like a very ultra like or something. No. I'm almost positive. I read that. Yeah. Are they going to start adding Chikara gimmicks? Because I think I'm, they are. Yeah. Let me let me I'm, let me see if that's true. Super. Then, uh, yeah. While you're checking that, I'm going to go through the <laughs> the Randy Orton resume here a little super bit. Like. Um, uh, it's a super like. Yeah. 
like so super you, you like, like oh god like but like, like, so randy orton in in the work rate box for me i mean you look at the match that he had with mick foley the the weapons match at one of those backlashes from back in the day uh, and, and this guy was a solid worker throughout his entire yeah. run some people argue that he's boring, but honestly, I think the boring factor just goes to the the point that he's in a lot of these 20 minute matches on Raw's weekly, and he had the two and a half year long feud with John Cena that would never end. Um, and I think that spoils a lot of people's minds. I, I have similar arguments about Kane, where I think just the fact that he's been around forever spoils people to how how good he is on television a lot of the times. Um, so I check him in the work rate box. Um, influence box is where he gets the other check box check mark to me because i don't really think he's that great of a draw i think ratings sometimes have been helped when randy orton's on the show versus when randy orton was out injured especially in the last seven years or so and you look at the fact that wwe had to use randy orton as the top guy for so long because he was the only one solid enough to keep business going um and at least a proven way of keeping business going there were a ton of guys that later on would become draws and yes they could have put the belt on somebody or put the time on someone else like a CM Punk and we may have had more success but we don't know that um, so Randy Orton checks the influence box to me just for the the fact that he's been around for so long and that he's still seen as a top guy from a lot of uh, fans that are currently watching wrestling and fans that have no longer watched wrestling they look back at John Cena and Randy Orton at least you know anyone these things I'm reading on Twitter and these you know feedback I get for our show a lot of times in email and and the work rate box part of it is the fact that he's been around, around so long. He's a baseball player that compiled stats over 15 years and didn't have that solid two or three year run to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, I, I like him a lot to like a Fred McGriff or whatever in yeah. baseball where yeah. he's just been there forever and he's compiled stuff and you kind of look and you go, oh, he's got 500 home runs really? Or like, I think McGriff, I, I don't know if he's at like one of those 499 guys. I forgot who that was exactly. That's like right, you know, one below the, the arbitrary mark. For me, Randy Orton really doesn't do much in any of those categories. And I think it, it could be a personal bias, to be honest, but I'm right. You, you said some people argue he's boring. I'm one of those people that would argue that. I have mm-hmm. never, there's a few matches. Like you mentioned, the Mick Foley one is one of my favorites. The Undertaker uh, at WrestleMania 21, one I believe is that yeah 21 that is you know one of my favorite Undertaker WrestleMania matches I love that match I think it's really great there was a large period where Randy Orton just did nothing for me in ring and that could be my bias of, of, of what I enjoy and what I like and what I look for in wrestling or whatever but for me he just doesn't do that and I don't know perhaps I should be more objective when I talk about these guys in ring work and and Randy Orton I think does a good job of doing the style that they want and I'm sure they love it you know he's one of those guys that, that Joe and I always talk about where you know we are probably yawning during the match but when he comes through the curtain people are probably clapping and going oh that was you know was magical that was perfect or whatever so I'll admit that that's something that maybe, you know, objective on my end or, or my bias that what he does in the ring, it, it's never really done much for me. So I have a hard time, you know, checking that box for him. It's just, it, he's been around for a while and I, I can think of maybe five matches he's had in it, it that, that I really enjoyed. You know, the Christian feud is another one I should mention as well. Pretty much that entire series of match I loved, but that's really it. I mean, when I look at his, his career and I look at a guy who's been on top since basically 2004 and I have like, you know, five or six matches that I enjoyed out of the guy, I just can't do it. I, I just, I, that, Part of me just can't do it. Influence-wise, again, maybe that's the bubble I'm in. Maybe it's my objectivity. It's Maybe it's my bias. I just don't know if he's that influential. I don't know if he's a guy that in 10 years people are going to remember. And that could be me not, you know, 
as I said, not being in that bubble and, and sort of being in this hardcore fan bubble or, or whatever, but I just, I don't know if I see him as influential. I don't know if anybody's been inspired to become, you know, a, a worker by Randy Orton. I don't know if Randy Orton's style is something that people are going to latch onto and use in 15 years. I don't know if like, you know, culturally, if I went up to, you know, a casual wrestling fan or, or a non-wrestling fan and mentioned Randy Orton, that they would know who that is. I just, I, I don't know. That might just be, again, my obje- uh, objectivity, but to me, he's just not that. And then, of course, the, the draw record, I just don't see anything in there, too. So for me, I understand why people are voting for him. And I, I even mentioned in my article that I wrote today about Modern Candidates that he's a guy who I'm sure he's going to shock me. I'm sure I'm going to go, oh, geez, OK. And, you know, he's going to have 45 percent or 50 percent or he might go in off the first ballot. But for me, he, he's a no in all three categories. I, he just never did anything for me in ring. He never did anything for me as an influential figure. And he never, you know, at least in my mind, did much as a draw. So he, he's an absolute no for me and probably will be forever i i don't think i'll ever vote for him and joe was champing at the bit <laughs> i don't i don't even know where to start um okay uh, i'm gonna rob i'm gonna ask you a series of questions oh i hate They're, quizzes yes yes or no i need to get Please. on tinder I'm, I'm gonna download the app i don't need it but i'm just gonna you know don't this could don't, be a while so i'm gonna no, get the no, coffee no no, on, no, so. no listen 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 don't don't read into it don't don't just is paul orndorff a hall of famer in your mind no Barry Windham. No. Sergeant Slaughter. Barry Windham's actually a really good uh, comparison to Randy Orton. But. No, no, no. Like I said, don't think too hard. Because <laughs> you know, I'm not necessarily saying these people are or aren't. No, I know. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know. He's uh, a good comp. Sarge, Sergeant Slaughter to me, uh, no. Ivan Koloff. No. Edge. No. I think every one of those people have a better case than Randy Orton. And in, in most of those cases, I don't even think it's close. I really don't no. think Edge does at all. I, I'll, and I would never vote for Edge. I wouldn't vote for Edge if you put a knife to my throat. But, but you think Edge has a better case than Randy Orton? I think Randy Orton, I think Rich proved that he's never been a draw. Um, I think his work is is fine. And the thing is, I don't even think that highly of him as a worker, but I think that's his strongest of the three categories because I think he's an okay worker. And I think there's been times where he's peaked pretty high as a worker. I don't know where you're coming up with these five-star matches. He, I mean, has, I thought you he were, has no Meltzer five-star matches, but he I has thought some, you were being facetious. What are these five-star? He has, he has no five-star matches. I, and I didn't think he did. I just had to save myself in case somewhere he did because I didn't think he had a, but he has some four and, a, and three quarters and four and a half star matches, you know, laid out through his entire run. Um, you know, with guys like Triple H, with Mick Foley, with a vast array of guys, with uh, the main event of WrestleMania 30, which, again, Daniel Bryan was in that. A lot of this stuff, a lot of the case for Randy Orton, I feel, is a case for other guys, and Randy Orton just happened to be involved, so I get that's a downside for him, but go on. You th- Do you think Randy Orton was ever as big of a star in just that company as Paul Orndorff? I just not living through Paul Orndorff's, uh, you know, run in the company and not being able to go through that perspective because I don't have it because um, I wasn't born yet. Right, for most maybe of that's it. not no. fair if you don't know a ton about Orndorff. I, I mean, I can know everything I want about Orndorff numbers wise, but I, I really believe in having to live through something to see how sure. those around you perceive these people. Because that's with fair. what I know right now, Randy Orton is perceived a bigger star than Paul Orndorff. See, that's the thing. I think Randy Orton is a guy where they tell you he's a star, but I don't think he's perceived as a star. And maybe that's where the disconnect is here. As far as the influence box goes, I think he's such a total non-entity. 
that I honestly, I truly believe if you removed, if you use some Chikara magic and you removed Randy Orton from history, nothing about professional wrestling changes. Not a thing. I think he's that much of just a guy. I, I think that he's a guy who, I agree. who for whatever reason was chosen to be kept on top because they just thought eventually this guy was going to catch on because he's exactly what Vince McMahon would spit out of a wrestler factory in terms of look and size and the way he presents himself, but he just never caught on. I think he's so – I think he's the antithesis of influential. I think that's a huge negative on his box. I think that Rich proved that he's never been a pay-per-view draw, and while I think he's probably to, to be fair, a- I did want to mention that in the article, I I, I did discover that, you know, the first few years he was pushed, he was, but then once it got into like year three, and mm-hmm. then what we've had for the next you know seven years or whatever, it's been absolutely nothing. But for a if while I, there, okay, that 2004 I, era has done Let's say I well. concede that. Let's say I concede right. that. I just want to make sure mention of that. Let's say I concede that he was never a Hall of Fame level. Correct, guy. correct. And that's what we're talking about here. I right, mean, not right. even close. I don't even think that argument can be made. And, and I don't positive at the beginning of his career. And I don't check the draw box sense. either for him either. Okay, so I mean, I just and as a worker, I actually probably think he takes too much shit for being. Look, I I think he's probably a better worker than what the general consensus is, and I do think that's his strongest category. But I don't think he's anywhere near a Hall of Fame level worker either. I'm actually. Um, you know, just looking at the ballot in the in the modern category, I think there's exactly there's there's two people I'd I'd vote I, I where where I think Randy Orton has a better Hall of Fame case. There's only two candidates on the entire ballot. That would be Kurt Henning and Big Show. I, I think Sting has a better Hall of Fame case than Randy Orton. On the work rate category, we look at those same candidates. How many on that ballot do you believe are better in ring workers than, than, Randy than Randy Orton at their best? Brian Danielson, mm-hmm. Kurt Henning, uh, Brock Lesnar. I prefer Brock Lesnar's work. Yep. Um, I'll take CM Punk. Ooh. I'll take Sergeant Slaughter. I'll take AJ Styles. All right. That's my list. I would agree on Hennig, Brian Danielson, uh, Brock Lesnar, and AJ Styles. Those would be the four. Um, I, I mean, I don't... The CM Punk thing. I, you're higher than Rich and I are on CM Punk's in yeah, I, I would put CM Punk in that way way ahead of Randy Orton as well. I, I don't know about that. I think Randy Orton has come on the big stage bigger than uh, you know most of these guys have. And, and well, CM Punk I, is probably even with him. Because CM Punk, I mean, the match with John Cena and the match with Undertaker at WrestleMania, um, you, can, you can match up uh, better than almost any Randy Orton match. But there are, there are some out there. I mean, not so much recently. But there, yeah, I was there kind of looking here because I, I was kind of curious, especially because Dave, we sort of make light of the fact that Dave sort of overrates Randy Orton stuff, or we, we kind of think that you know Randy Orton gets in the ring and it's four stars immediately, and then you know he can only add to that. So I want to look and and you look at his four and a quarter or four and a half star matches rather, and look and there's only there's only five of them in his entire career. Uh, there's the Cactus Jack Randy Orton, which is number one. It's better, also in cage matches, singles one matches. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and if right. you look at singles matches, there's one. Four and, a quarter, uh, four and a half, and that's the Cactus Jack Randy Orton match. The rest are uh, Edge, John Cena, Randy Orton, and Shawn Michaels. That got four and a half. Uh, there's a Money in the Bank match. It's Christian, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, mm-hmm. Rob Van Dam, Sheamus. Um, there's also a the three-way, obviously, at WrestleMania, Batista, Daniel Bryan, and Randy Orton. And then there's another. It's one. It's the Evolution uh, Shield match. It's the Batista, Randy Orton, and Triple H versus the Shield. That's also four and a half. So if you look at you know over four stars, like excluding four stars from Dave, in terms of singles matches, you have that Cactus Jack, Randy Orton match, which is far and away, I, I think, his best. And I think everybody yeah. will sort yeah. of agree with that. Um, 
July in 2004, it was Edge, Randy Orton that got four and a quarter, but I mean, we can sort of joke about that if we want because it's it's Dave. But no, I remember that being a pretty solid match. Uh, there's also the SummerSlam main event, Benoit and Randy Orton. That's four and a quarter. Uh, there's Edge and Randy Orton from 2007, uh, Orton and Triple H from 2007, and then a John Cena match uh, from 2009, uh, the, the really awesome Christian Randy Orton uh, Money in the Bank match in May, and then that's it. So those are your 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 entire over four star. I may be the, star plus. I may be the only one who values the 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 Royal Rumble match with Jeff Hardy highly too. The title match with Jeff Hardy. Uh, yeah, I don't see that one on this list. I don't know where what Dave. Yeah. I gotta say, I am stunned. We're spending this much time on. You <laughs> be stunned. All of those all of those guys I named too. Like I would vote for none of them. And I put them well ahead of Randy Orton, and I and I wouldn't vote for any of the guys I named. The only one that I'm on the fence with is Slaughter. I think Slaughter is criminally underrated as a worker. If you watch his tag stuff from the Carolinas mm-hmm. in his prime, if you watch his pre AWA, because that's where he really started to fall off the cliff when he when he left and went to the AWA. And unfortunately, that's most of the footage that people have seen and that right, they have his earned in their story, brain. He was just fucking yes. Off. Everything from from the AWA run on is what a lot of people are familiar with. But if you you look at the WWE run before that, and you look at the tag work from the Carol, this was a three hundred pound man who who moved around like a man half his size, bumped all over. One of the best bumpers I've ever seen, and was a tremendous worker. And not only that, Sergeant Slaughter is also a guy who's undervalued as a draw. Sergeant Slaughter was a tremendous draw uh, in his day, especially uh, again in the Carolinas, uh, you know, as a tag. And um, you know, he's a guy who, 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 who really, he's a guy who. See, CM Punk, I'm fifty-fifty on Lesnar. I'm leaning no because it's all Rich's fault. And Sergeant <laughs> and Sergeant Slaughter is a guy who I'm on the fence on, but I'm leaning yes, and I may end up ultimately voting for Sergeant Slaughter. And I, I do think that the the late career, he early 1990s career. stuff with Hulk Hogan actually helps his case a little bit. Um, because he did have that extra run there as as a main eventer very briefly, um, so I, I mean I, it was I don't know. A successful I, run though. I mean <laughs> that one's I don't know if I would add that as a positive. It's just a little icing on the cake. Slaughter. thing. you know what I mean? Is it an icing on the cake when it's a total <laughs> miserable failure and you have to move the arena to like something that was like I, I mean, granted it was a super ambitious thing that they were going to do, yeah. but I think uh, it's kind of I don't know if I call that like an icing on the cake when I don't it's know, such man. a miserable he, failure that you have to like that completely one show abandon all your mis- plans. That, that one show may have been a miserable failure, but that that one show wasn't the entirety of the run. Uh, I don't think any of it was very uh, successful. It's, it's, you know, it's to me Slaughter's a guy who's definitely being overlooked and and here and i'll tell you and i'll tell you this right now you can't tell the history of wrestling without sergeant slaughter you can tell it without randy orton in my opinion i mean you know i i think the influence box is not even close sergeant slaughter was a household name at one point it's also a hall of fame i also forget that you know sergeant slaughter was 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 legitimately famous uh during during the uh the peak of his career and and to me randy orton is just the epitome of how much of just a guy you weigh it a lot I mean, you, you know, you do. You wait, you no, wait I agree. I'm not laughing. No, I'm laughing because it's true. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he got that deal, and, and uh, you know, off the back of how popular he was as a pro wrestler. I mean, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, how many how many endorsement deals is Randy Orton getting? You know, none. The answer is zero. I mean, to me, Randy sure he's Orton. He's done like a combos ad here and there. I don't know for sure, but I'm sure. He's, he's just always been just a guy. I mean, I'm, I'm baffled that we spent half of this thing talking about Randy Orton. I mean, you know, Rob, you know, all due respect, you want to vote for the guy, go ahead. I just, I, I, I. Man, I'm I'm just not seeing it from any angle. 
Well, Rich, remind the people where they can go and voice their opinions. If they agree with any of us, <laughs> if they disagree with any yeah. of us, where they can go and get some more Voices Hall of Fame talk. Wrestling.com slash forums on our great forums, or you can follow us on Twitter at Voices Wrestling as well. But the forums have been a good, good platform for this discussion and stuff. So, yes, go to the forums. Okay, do that. So, let's, so let's do this now then. After you get yeah, we've, we've done our ballots. Everything's, everybody's got them in. Let's burn through very quickly pithy thoughts. And let's seriously keep them short Yeah. Uh, for maybe people we didn't discuss. The irony guys, here. You guys, <laughs> yeah, Joe is, guys, come yes, on. I'm let's pushing be you guys here. along. Yes. You're both voting for Junkyard Dog. I'm on the yep. fence with them and I'm leaning yes. Uh-huh. Uh, the problem I have with Junkyard Dog is he was uh, rich kind of sugarcoated, but he was a horrendous worker. I don't mm-hmm. care what kind of context you put it in. I have a problem with that. I also have a problem with the fact that I really wish his WWF run was a little more successful. You can kind of make the argument that maybe he was the number two babyface for like six months, but then after that he – quickly slipped down the card and he was firmly a mid carter to the point where he was a jobber to the stars towards the end there. So that bothers me, but you guys are voting for him and I get it. And my, I may ultimately vote for him. And obviously his case is made, you know, with the mid South stuff primarily. So Kurt Henning, my favorite wrestler of all time, not even close to a hall of famer. Uh, do you guys agree that he's not even close? I agree. I would agree. He's not close. And honestly, he's very high on my uh, favorite wrestlers list also. Yeah, and, and I was having this discussion with someone as well, Alex, who, who does a lot of the editing for our website as well. And we were talking, and he was like, well, well, why would you not vote Kurt Henning or whatever? And I just said, look, he's one of my favorite guys ever, but he's just, he's not influential. He's not, he wasn't a notable draw. And like the in-ring stuff, it's there, but it's not really, it's not there for a ton of years. It's just, I don't know. He just doesn't have it for me. It, it's No one is about of, Kurt Henning. You could argue he was the best worker in North America for like a three-year stretch there. Right, exactly, like 89 to 91 or whatever. But the thing say. about Henning though too is even if you make that argument, he doesn't have – it's, it's, it's crazy, but he doesn't have a long resume of great matches. Exactly, Maybe, and that's, that's what I brought up is like the Give me 10 great thing. Kurt Henning matches. Right. You'd struggle to do it. Can I – my number one factor for why Kurt Hennig isn't a Hall of Famer is the fact that 80% of people who follow wrestling so closely still can't pronounce his last name correctly. <laughs> right. <laughs> including, you know, people in this podcast, which isn't a shot at anyone, but most people say Henning, and it's just not the case. You know, if you are thinking a guy's a Hall of Famer and have this reverence for somebody, you're going to get the name right, whether it's <laughs> – whether it's just a way that people say words or not. And I'm, again, I'm not taking a shot at anyone. I just Kurt think Kurt Henning. It, what do you mean? Kurt Henning. Yeah, did I say it? I said I said Henning, I thought. No, but people fall into this saying Kurt Henning. You know, I don't I think you said on this podcast. That's the way it? I heard Joe heard it. But that I wasn't gonna call okay, him because right. it doesn't matter. Sorry, I'm just saying that like if if Hulk Hogan was this biggest thing, you're gonna get Hulk Hogan's name right. You're gonna get Kurt Angle's name right. You're not gonna miss anything. You're not gonna say it wrong and then get in the habit of saying it incorrectly. And I'm not trying to be this, you know, name police. I'm just saying you would you would say it correctly because that's how important that person was. It's as if you've never listened to a Voices of Wrestling podcast. Eh, you know, I got my own thing going. Pr- we don't pronounce <laughs> anything busy. correctly. We pronounce nothing correctly. Los Ingobernables. Yes, thank you. Okay, so uh, we did Ivan Koloff. We did Brock Lesnar. I think you skipped Edge. Did you miss Edge? Oh, not- yeah. Edge. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rich. Quick thoughts I mean, on no. Edge. Uh, no, no real thoughts there. I mean, the guy, he was the guy, I, I, I liken him a lot to Randy Orton as well, who's the guy yeah. who was around for a while. I think Edge had a, has actually, a, I would probably say, a little bit better of an in-ring resume than Randy Orton to me. But at the end of the day, there's not enough there. It's not a Hall of Fame level worker, at least in my mind. He was great in the ladder match stuff. He was great in some of the stuff. But but by and large, I don't know if I really enjoyed his work to that level. Uh, you know, the draw, you know, everybody will talk about the one rating or whatever. But, uh, you know, if, if, if there wasn't, if there wasn't, boobs, if there wasn't like the, the chance of boobs in there. 
there. I don't know if that many people would have tuned in, but uh, there's that. And of course, he followed it up with almost absolutely nothing. And then for the most part, influence. I don't think Edge is a guy, you know, in 10 years, if you mention Edge, people mm-hmm. are just going to kind of shrug and, and do whatever. So yeah, to me, Edge is, is a no on all. I, all I see Edge the way a lot of people and you two included see Randy Orton. And I think that's fair. I yes. think that, that Edge is a guy who didn't do anything at a Hall of Fame level. Right. So he's a, he's a no Very good. Either. Very, very all-time good. But no, we're talking Hall of Fame here. Should be it's noted that Randy me. Orton, when they were not releasing numbers directly, but when numbers of, you know, and who were the top-ranked merch sellers out there, Randy Orton was always above Edge. You, know, you didn't see a lot of Edge merchandise around. You would occasionally see those RKO shirts and the different Viper shirts. Mm-hmm. You never saw Edge stuff anywhere. Like people, when he was a good guy, when he was a bad guy, no one cared about the guy if he wasn't, you know, doing the tag team stuff with Christian right. in my mind. Rob, do you think Tito Santana's a Hall of Famer? Uh, I honestly don't know enough about uh, Tito to make that call. Do you think Rick Martell is a Hall of Famer? <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to name here. Uh, Rick Martell, um, I would say no. Let me, let me, okay, you, you guys are, do you think Scott Hall is a Hall of Famer? I do, yes. Okay, then I that's fair because I, I would put Scott Hall ahead of Orton too, but if you think he's a Hall of Famer, I can't get on you because I think that's fair. Okay, uh, Ivan Koloff, now Rich is voting for him. You are not. Yep. My thoughts on Koloff is I did a ton of research on Koloff last year and I came away. I did not come away impressed at a Hall of Fame level. I think he's close, but he's not someone I'm ever going to vote for. My mind is already made up on him. Yeah, so. and I'm, I'm a little bit the same way. And again, and just the fact that, you know, all these names Joe, Joe is dropping and trying to consider and I'm really big on having lived through the era of that person because it's hard for me to go back and perceptive, sure. uh, be perceptive about how these people were and how everyone felt about them and how truly great they were if I didn't watch them. I, you know, I may be someone who was on the fence with Brian Danielson if I only found out about him in 2008. That's fair. I, yeah. I, that's completely fair. This is why I don't vote in a historical bucket. Uh, same here. I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I'm not going to break down John. I could read about John Tolos all I want. I can't break down John Tolos and Kenji Shibuya for you. I, it's not right. I think it's the noble thing to do. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I think it's the noble thing to do to stay out of categories that you have no business in. So I think it's, I think it's far, it's far easier to do, you know, folks who are outside of the ring, like promoters or even managers and especially, you know, ring announcers, someone who was outside the ring because you can look at their work the same way everyone else did. Uh, you know, a lot of it's based on numbers. A lot of it's based on just how they came across. I think it's easier to do stuff like that. So when you look at the non-wrestlers, I can vote in that category because I feel comfortable with how these people influence the business. But with in-ring workers, it's really tough if you didn't live through it. Yeah, I agree. Do you, do you think Nikita Koloff is a Hall of Famer? <laughs> okay, let's move on. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah. Big Show is a guy that we really didn't touch on. Look, I don't even – look, again, similar to Edge. I mean, you know, it, it, look, a nice career, a very good career. I don't see him at a Hall of Fame level in any way, shape, or form. I agree. This is where the uh, the new rules about dropping off the ballot are going to be really tough on certain people because I think Big Show would have a groundswell of support if he ever did retire. I think there would be that you know novelty. Okay, he's no longer with us. Let's look back. We see him more fondly. Big Show's a guy where I think you know you've you've watched the run and especially now and he's been on TV for twenty years. If he retired tomorrow in two or three years, we might look back and see things with you know rose colored glasses and be a little bit more fond of him. So this is where a rule like this might really hurt a guy is Big Show being on the ballot right now and him not looking like he's going away anytime soon. AJ Styles. I am skipping someone, but we'll get back to him. Yep. AJ Styles 
Uh, for me, look, I'd love to vote for him. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's had a two or three year run where he's arguably the best wrestler in the world and he's starting to draw some money. Not enough for a Hall of Fame uh, um, resume yet. Let's check again in about five years. I agree. Yeah, he's on a path right now where, where, where we could make that case or you could start sort of thinking of it. And, and of course, he's back on the ballot now because of what he's doing right now. But yeah, right now, no. Three, four years, five years. Yeah, we could talk about it again. But right now, yeah, I don't think there's yeah, much point he, he only it. He only checks one box. I would say he checks the work rate at a Hall of Fame level right now, but uh, maybe just barely. But he doesn't check anything else yet. And he's a guy where you kind of have to wait you know, for his career to be done, like you two said, because you just don't know how it's going to be. And whatever he does in the future is going to have to get, have to get him over the hump. He could have a WWE run for all we know. Yeah. It, it, wrestling changes fast, man. So uh, Ultimate Warrior, to me, just the, the run wasn't long enough, and I'm not even sure it was strong enough either. I don't see him as a viable candidate at all. I'm with you. Same here. Yeah, there's just nothing there. There's, there's just not much there. Joe, you know? hey, Joe, are the Young Bucks Hall of Famers? <laughs> They're not, Rob. The Young Bucks. The Fantastics. Um, no. I saw man, Fantastics. I, I would love to say yes. The Naturals. Andy Douglas can't. and uh, what other guy? Well, I forgot what the other one's name was. The Fantastics <laughs> were on one of these random, you know, late 90s or, or mid 90s Raws or not even Raw, Nitro that I was yeah. just was on the network. I watched the show on the network and then it ended and then Nitro was on there and the Fantastics were like jobbing to Mang and the Barbarian. Oh, just. I saw that one. Yeah, no, that one was not on uh, not that long ago. What a 97 one. Glorious like, times. Glorious yeah, times. I think it was 97. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that not that long ago. So, yeah. Is, right, Joe, is Shima a Hall of Famer? No, the Joe, I think you had more guys on your list, didn't you? He probably did. I was fumbling. I don't know what's going on. Joe, I, 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 think, I think someone matched back. He's busy. Sting. Um, Sting's a guy that, you know, we did a particular, you know, Jeff Hawkins and I on Shake Them Ropes. <laughs> last year, right? We did a Sting-specific podcast because he's one of the more highly debated candidates you know honestly i thought cm punk would be this highly debated but it seems like more people are pro cm punk than not nowadays um but sting just doesn't do it and i don't think anything on this current run really you know it maybe helped his case but the way he ended his wrestlemania and the way he ended this pay-per-view here i mean he didn't jump over the hump in the in-ring performance he didn't jump over in a draw category uh, especially because he wasn't considered anywhere close to the main event of WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's influential it's to fine. the point where people knew who Sting was, but I don't think you know that he's going to be at a Hall of Fame level of influence uh, in the future in WWE's or anyone who looks back at WCW's mind. Um, you know, there's just so many people. You know, Hulk Hogan is a bigger influence, and and the fact that they had the NWO that's a bigger influence. And the NWO could have worked even if Sting wasn't there, because the NWO was working before Sting was part of the program. Exactly. So right. I, I don't consider Sting to be I'm in right this case. You. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of stuff, but there's just so many people ahead of him, and there's so many people that you look at that were bigger, better at whatever. At, at any of those three categories we talk about, pretty much through his entire career, he was always just the guy sort of in the middle. And then people finally remember him, and that's, he's, he's a hotly debated guy because people sort of remember Sting. The fans that are, you know, our age or, you know, Joe's age or whatever, they'll sort of, he's the guy they grew up with, and it's the guy they know. But when you really look at it, you really, really do the work on it, and do diligence he's just not a guy that that on a work level on a draw level uh, and i'd argue on an influence level he's just not there it's it's i know for some people that makes him mad that sting's not there but it's just it, it, it is what it is and it's not everybody's a hall of famer so sorry joe what about you on sting well the thing with sting is uh there's this there's this perception from the people who think that he's some kind of slam dunk that he was this um you know 
this in you know this star from from the start of his WCW run until WCW closed its doors. This you know the number one star in the company for all that time. There were ninety one WCW pay per views from when he got his first push in nineteen eighty eight until they closed their doors, and he main evented twenty seven of those ninety one WCW pay per views. There were years. Individual years where Sting main evented zero pay-per-views in WCW. The one year where he main event, there was only one year where he main evented the majority of the pay-per-views in a given year, and where he, we, he in 1993 he main evented four out of the seven pay-per-views, which was barely over half, and that's the only year where he main evented more than half of the pay-per-views. And that also just happened to be the worst year for business in the history <laughs> of WCW until, you know, the year that they closed. So there's really, there, there's no tangible, and we know this, but there's people who don't know this. There's just no tangible argument you can make that he was this enduring star throughout WCW. He just wasn't. And whenever they gave him a chance to be on top, he failed. He, didn't, he, he couldn't draw. And I don't think anybody thinks he's a Hall of Fame worker. And, you know, think whatever you want about the influence box. Fact of the matter is, uh, Sting is overrated as a star. He's not even close to a Hall of Fame level star. And the best argument for him is just longevity at the top. Because he has, look, the guy just main evented a pay-per-view 10 minutes ago. So he has been in the main event picture. And he's been a star wrestler for a number of years. That's his best argument. But is that enough to be a Hall of Famer? For me, it's not. And I think some people point out the Starcade 1997 by rate, but you look at what he did afterwards and he was just another guy afterwards. Like, you know, a year away, a big match with Hogan that they, you know, drew for a year, you know, did a pretty good number. But that was a one kind of a one shot deal there is, you know, if anyone else, if Floyd Mayweather came in and main evented a pay-per-view and drew a number, I mean, he's not going to be a Hall of Fame draw just because of one show. We could probably name a thousand wrestlers if we really tried who popped one big house or one big buy rate or one. I mean, who cares? That doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. I mean, you know, it, 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 you know, there's so much strong evidence that points to him being the antithesis of a good draw, 1993, when they gave him the ball for, you know, and, and, and they had their worst year ever. I mean, you know, just, just, yeah, it's just, you know, it's all right. That's nice. He drew the one big house. That's great. But I mean, or the one big pay-per-view buy rate, rather. It, but it, you know, that doesn't necessarily make him a Hall of Famer. And make look, the guy is a star. He's absolutely a professor, a star in the world of professional. He still is a star in 2015. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a Hall of Famer. It's so, okay just to be a big star. You know, that's not an insult to say someone's not a Hall of Famer. And I think uh, what we'll have here—that's uh, the U.S. modern uh, candidates. If we go to Japan, I'm pretty sure we're going to have some. Uh, Candidates on our ballots from the Japan category. Uh, would I be wrong in saying that, Rich? Uh, no, yeah, I got a few here. I know Joe. I believe we'll have a few. Maybe we'll start with Joe. Joe, who are your uh, who are you voting for in this one? And then I'll give my thoughts. And then uh, we'll let Rob uh, jump in uh, third. June, but Joe, who, who are you voting for? Jun Akiyama. Okay, I, and I'll, I'll just jump in with you right now. I agree with you. I'm voting for him as well. That's all I got. So you guys can. Oh, okay. All right. Well, geez. I, I love the suspense that's built up. We had the Brian Danielson, then silence. We have Junakiyama, we have silence. <laughs> silence. Like, I can't, I, I love it. I love it. But, Rich, you go ahead because I only have one person on my ballot, too. And then I get in the conundrum of whether I should even vote in this category. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, your, uh, your candidates. 
Uh, I am doing Jun Akiyama as well, so I agree with Joe on that. I am doing Shima, Dragon Gate Shima, I am voting in as well. I'm doing another team that, that's a little bit interesting, but I've done a little bit more research on and read a bunch of stuff on, and there are people that I probably wouldn't have thought I was going to vote for, uh, but doing the work I sort of am, and that's Mike and Ben Sharp, the Gaijin superstars. And then I'm going to Akira Tawe, who I believe Joe will argue with me a lot about, and and I, I welcome the argument a lot too, because I think it's kind of fun. And he's he's my fence guy. He's one guy that I'm, I, I say yes now, but when the actual ballot goes, I can't confirm that he's going to be on there because he's a last minute addition, and I'm, I'm still not positive. But those are my four guys: Junakiyama, Shima, Mike and Ben Sharp, and then Akira Tawe. Well, I want to get into those arguments, but before uh, we do that, because I think that's the lead here. Um, you know, my one person that I would vote for is Shima. And, you know, again, part of it is having lived through it, you know, the influence category, his eye for talent, the fact that Dragon Gate is still around and getting, you know, rave reviews from fans here in the United States and elsewhere. Uh, Shima would be my one. But at the same time, this is one of those categories where I'm not, uh, I don't feel as if I'm familiar enough with everyone on the ballot, uh, to point whether they're a Hall of Famer or not. And I, I kind of go back and forth on whether I'll even turn in, you know, nominees in this category and whether I'll vote for this category because I do want to know everyone on the ballot. I want to I want to know as much as I can from everyone on the ballot. And this is one of those categories where I just don't know if I'm 100% there yet, but maybe in, you know, a year or two. Yeah, I mean, so you who do you not know enough about to where you're uncomfortable here? I, I'm not just anyone in, well, uh, you know, a guy like Volkan who gets a lot of support, you know, I'm, I'm not around during that era. And I don't know if I've read enough because I focused on other people in Hall of Fame research. Uh, Mike and Ben Sharp is a guy that Rich has, but I've read, you know, different things and because I didn't live through it that I, you know, I don't know if they're they're fully there. So I I'm kind of taking the information that Rich reads and going a different way with it. Um, like, I'm interested in the discussion on why you would pick who you would pick, uh, Joe, why you pick Akiyama in there and why you wouldn't pick a guy like Shima and someone else. Because So I'm, I'm just not, you know, there 100% on whether I feel, you know, super comfortable or not. And I, I may be going crazy because I'm sure there's people who don't know anyone on this list, but will still turn in a name or two. Like, I'm not yeah, saying and, I'm and unfortunately that is the case. And I really wish people would stop. doing. Yeah, because I, I don't feel like I'm the least knowledgeable on these people at all. I feel like I'm not where I should be in order to turn in a ballot. Right. But if you're looking at, at 70 percent, yeah, I'm I'm above that's where I'm that's, like Mexico, like Mexico. Exactly. I could probably yes. throw one or two votes a year at guys that I know. Right. Or historical one or two. That's disingenuous. I'm not going to do the research worthy of, of voting for a guy like I could vote for Big Daddy right now in the Europe category. But that doesn't I, I feel like that doesn't do justice to the Ottawans and those sort of guys that probably deserve a little bit more research that I'm just not going to do. I'm not, it's just, and it's not something that I don't, it's just literal time. I just don't have the time to do it. And I just don't think I'm going to, I would do it enough justice to, to be worthy vote. So it'd be me voting for one or two of the guys that I know and not, you know, the guys that really deserve it. And that's to me, that's, that's the complete antithesis of what you should be doing with this hall of fame. Right. And part of, you know, to me anyway, especially with the podcast I host and, and the friends that I have who are also wrestling fans that I converse with the most you know, I didn't need to go back and study Japanese, you know, history and Japanese wrestling of the 90s and early 2000s before I started getting into it, because that's not what my friends were talking about. That's not what I was trying to talk about. I was trying to research, you know, the past U.S. pro wrestling so I would know who everyone is and be into it. Because as people who listen to Shake Them Ropes know, and as some of my friends know, like, I didn't start watching wrestling until 97. And that's not because, you know, I was just 
dumb about wrestling or anything. It's because I was 12. You know, I was, I was young. I didn't, I get, didn't get into wrestling until I was 12, 13 years old. And then that's what was on television. You know, it wasn't late eighties NWA on TV. It was 1997 WCW and WWE. So I watched what was on television. And then as I grow into wrestling, I started following what was going on in the past, but I didn't get into Japanese wrestling until 2005, 2006, when the crossover with ring of honor happened. And that's, you know, that's what I feel comfortable with in the past, but I haven't gone back and researched enough because I just had too many other things going on with, with trying to know what was going on in wrestling to really get back to historical Japanese wrestling yet. And that's the problem I have with, you know, a hundred percent feeling right turning in a ballot in this category. I think that's fair. And yeah. I, you know, I, I don't blame you at all. That's it's almost exactly how I feel about Mexico. Yeah. I feel that there's several Mexican candidates who to me should be in the hall of fame. And some of them are in danger of falling off if they don't get 50% this year. But uh, you know, there's there's too many candidates there that I don't know enough about, and I'm 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 not fully ingrained into lucha the way I am in Japan and the United States, and then I'm just never going to vote that category. I just don't see myself ever doing it. So I totally get it, and uh, you know I think that's the right thing to do. I think there's a lot of voters who are just very flippant about it. They get the ballot, they check off a bunch of names that they recognize, they send it back to Dave, and I, I would say that the majority of the voters probably don't think about it as hard. As we do, and the circle of people that yes. we communicate with. Absolutely. I, That's absolutely true. Yes. <laughs> so, do you, do you think, I mean, look, nothing against her. And I actually think she's very smart and she understands wrestling. And I think she understands wrestling very well. And, and, and I like her opinions. But do you think Missy Hyatt, someone like Missy Hyatt, is, is thinking this hard about it the way that, that, that we, I don't think so. Um, you know, so I mean, and, and again, I'm not just trying to single her out or pick on her, but she's someone who publicly gives her opinions on these things. So she's someone who I can point to. So, you know, or maybe she does. Maybe I'm totally misjudging her. No, no, no. You, I mean, I, I think, and she was one I brought up because I remember she, when the ballots came out, she said, oh, tomorrow I'm going to sit by the pool and fill out my ballot or whatever. And said, out, and then sent it in and then said, oh, I'm done. And that was like, you know, eight hours after the thing got that next day, she got the email and said, okay, cool. I'm going to, you know, get my tablet next to the pool and vote who I want to vote for. And then that's it. Like, I, I doubt she was like pouring through, you know, attendance records while she was doing that. She probably just said, okay, let's see here. Dim, 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 done. Like, and that's and fine. On that, and on that same token, you know, she spent two and a half decades in the business. So who right. the fuck are we to besmirch her? Exactly. She, she, right. has perspect- <laughs> she has perspectives that we don't have. But I mean, you know, it's, it's my point here is I'm sure there's pl- look, there's the famous story of the guy who voted for Takahashi. OK. And, you know, because Takahashi sold out the Tokyo Dome five years. I mean, that happened. That's a real story. We don't know who it is, but someone did that. Um, so, you know, they, they someone who never saw the man wrestle and and and, you know, so, so, you know, I get it. I, I think that's the responsible thing to do. It's why I only vote in two categories. So, but anyway, who do you want to start with here? You, look, the elephant in the room here is no one's voting for Nakamura. I, and I think um, that's probably someone that we should talk about. Look, when I watch Shinsuke Nakamura, I feel like I'm watching a Hall of Famer. And I feel like he's going to get in, if not this year, at some point he's going to get in. And I also feel like at some point, um, if he doesn't get in this year, I'll probably end up voting for him. I'm kind of on the fence with him now, but I'm leaning no. Um, but I do feel like he's he's a Hall of Fame wrestler. I get that in my gut. I feel like Shinsuke Nakamura is a Hall of Famer. The problem I have with Shinsuke Nakamura is pre-charisma injection. He was very hit or miss as a worker. Uh, look, he, he was not a Hall of Fame level draw at that point, and I'm not sure he's a Hall of Fame level draw now, although he's he's making a better argument. Yes, yes. Um, 
you know, again, that was post Nokiaism, and he was in a real tough spot. It was hard. For, it was going to take years and years for anybody to be able to draw in that situation. But it is what it is. If he was a Hall of Fame level, knock it out of the park draw, shit would have turned around faster, right? We got to be fair here. And uh, you know, he just wasn't a draw during that first, a Hall of Fame level draw during that first run. Now he's sort of building that case. Now he's a, a more consistent worker than he was during that first run as well. Now he's a guy who gets over when he goes overseas unlike some other guys in his own company. So there's there's arguments to be made for him now. Personally, I'm not comfortable voting for him yet. Yeah, with, with Nakamura, if you're not an AJ Styles voter, I think for the same reasons, you shouldn't be a Nakamura voter. AJ Styles I, has a limited run. I mean, he has the run on top in TNA, but uh, Nakamura just doesn't have the time for me as, as being a Hall of Fame level. And kind of what Joe says, when you look at him in the ring, you know, Looking at him thinking, okay, this guy is the greatest. This guy is a Hall of Fame level talent. This is a guy that we're all going to be talking about for a long time coming. Um, I just don't know if the time frame, uh, the length of time is there yet. Uh, on, on my and my time frame on him may be even shorter than others because I'm I'm going back maybe the last you know three years maybe and that's it. Yeah, yeah I've I watched his whole career, so I mean, and, and like I'm saying before. Before the, the well, I, I've watched Mexico. the whole career, but I mean, time frame as being a Hall of Famer, I'm looking gotcha. at the last two and a half, three years. Yeah, and that's where I'm at too. I think he's he's on the path and he's he's building a case, but it's just not there yet. I mean, it's going to take a, a handful of other great matches, and and I think he's absolutely capable of doing it if he stays on the pace that he's he's at. You know, continues to be a, a big time draw for New Japan. Continues to be, I think, an influential you know cultural icon in terms of like the the crossover of of pro and American wrestling and that sort of. I right. mean, that's a guy that pretty much. Uh, of all the Japanese guys that people know, I mean, he is near the top of the list because of his charisma, because of the way he conducts himself. And he's just such a culture shock. to a lot of people and they love him. And, and of course he, he's, I think he's going to continue that. And, and he, he's definitely on the path, just not right now. It would feel disingenuous right now if I voted for him. I just yeah. don't think he has enough there yet. Could do it. Could build more of a resume. I think he needs to build more of a resume with that said, I, I, I kind of think he's getting in this year. Wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I'm not going to be voting for him. I know, you know, Rob, Joe, I, I know a lot of people in your circle are not going to vote for him, but I think by and large, I think a lot of people will. I think he's going to go in. But yeah, I, I need a few more years of, of just it, it won't. It won't bother me if he gets in. No, 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 I won't be like upset about it, but it's just a guy who I think could could use a little bit more of a resume before he becomes a no doubter for me. But if he's in, it, whatever, because I think he's going to get to that level anyway. I, I, I see no reason why not. But yeah, for me, I'm going to wait a little bit. But yeah, I think that's. That's fair on all ends. So, Rich, what would be your uh, your reasons for the nomination of Shima? Shima. So, this is a guy we've talked about a lot on this podcast, and we've you know had articles and stuff about Shima and, and what he means. And and I think the biggest thing is you look at a guy who you know in ring. I think he's had some spectacular matches. I think they've been really good. If Dragon Gate's not your style, I get it. That's fine. And like I said, Randy Orton's not my style. He's a guy I wouldn't vote for. If Dragon Gate's not your style, and you don't like the Dragon Gate style, whatever. I think it's kind of silly to say that there's a Dragon Gate style or say that Shima has a style, but you know what? There are people that say that. They're, they usually don't watch Dragon Gate, but they say it, so whatever. If that's not your thing, if Dragon Gate's not your thing, that's fine. I get that. I think influence alone, this is a guy who was so influential in terms of of what he does, in terms of all those workers that, that come out of that system, that come out of the Dragon Gate system. A lot of them are... Shima's got his fingerprints all over them in terms of the way they work, the way they conduct themselves, their characters, you know, how he picked them, the talent, you know, evaluation, the talent decision-making. And that goes to America as well of guys that he's brought in. And I think Rob, you made this point. Uh, I, I forget if it was on the forums or, or on Twitter or whatever. He's a guy that's also sort of handpicked a lot of the top guys 
that, that have come, American talent that have come to Dragon Gate, you know, a guy like a Ricochet, a guy like a Pac, a Neville, you know, those sort of guys that have come over and he said, hey, these are guys I want. I'm not them to come to my, you know, this company or whatever. And he's done it. And that's a guy who, again, is to me, the undoubtable, the, the undeniable leader, at least in my mind, and the undeniable, you know, top guy of Dragon Gate, which is the number two promotion in Japan. And I, you know, I know that people, you know, either don't like hearing that or they get kind of upset because it's like, oh, they only do this, they only draw this or whatever. This is a company that even in the dying days of the days of the dark days of Japanese pro wrestling, this was a company that rose like a phoenix and has pretty much consistently been doing, I mean, for almost like a decade now, has basically stayed in their lane for better or for worse and does great business in areas outside of Tokyo too, which I think is important as well of just being an influential figure across the, the, the country of Japan too and not just Tokyo and not just that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy, I think, you know, in terms of influence, it's so much there. And you look, another thing too that I want to mention as well is, is Dragon Gate, you know, coming to the United States, Dragon Gate USA, Dragon Gate going to the United Kingdom. I mean, that he's a guy that I've gone to, I went to numerous during at USA shows, he was the man who, when the when the show was over, oh, yeah. he grabbed the mic and he thanked everybody for being there. And he said, I am Shima, you know, I am, you know, representative of Dragon Gate. He's the guy. They didn't give it to Naroki Doi. They didn't give it to those sort of guys. And that might be an issue of, of English or whatever, but it didn't matter because Shima didn't really cut very good the English promos. Like, it was terrible broken English, but they, they there was a clear idea that this was the guy, you know. Well, this was the leader. This was the guy you yeah. should care about. This, this is the representative. This is the guy. And to me, influence he's got in ring and I'm, I'm i'm putting down his in ring in ring's very very good like he's absolutely there you know draw and influence i kind of put in the same pocket for him because he's a guy who you, you really you'd be i think you'd be silly to, to to argue dragon gate's draw i mean yeah they're not selling out to tokyo they're not doing this sort of stuff but they are so consistent every single week and you know that back in those days you know territorial wise people love that stuff when guys can consistently every single month you know or every single week or whatever put 5k in in you know the mid-south arena or do anything like that that's a big deal to them but then apparently when it's in dragon gate or it's japan that doesn't nah whatever that's just them staying in their lane well whatever i mean he's doing it and he's doing as but as best as he can as the head of to me he's a no doubter absolutely no doubt for me joe your your reasons for not including shima well i may include him um he again i'm the annoying guy that hasn't finalized his ballot i'm just as of this second i'm i'm on the fence leaning yes um uh, look i'm a hard marker okay and the fact of the matter is you know it's dragon gate is shima okay let's get that out of the way he created it mm-hmm. he's 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 the promoter for all intents and purposes he's the he's been the top star uh, for the duration of, of of the company's run, um, and their and their primary draw, um, the thing is though, here's what here's where I have problems with Shima because I, I all the things that Rich praised I agree with. The, the problems I have with Shima is Dragon Gate has never drawn, to my knowledge, a a ten thousand. They've never drawn ten thousand paid fans to a show. Um, they've never drawn, to my knowledge, eight thousand paid fans to a show. They've announced as many as 9,500. That's the highest figure I've found. And we all know that they fluff their attendance. Um, iHeartDG.com, he reports the announced attendance and Dragon Gate fluffs their t- I, I I have serious doubts they've ever drawn 8,000 fans to a show. Um, even if you put that in, and look, Rich knows I'm a big believer in context. Context mm-hmm. always matters. But even if you put that into context, and even as successful as Dragon Gate has been, just because Dragon Gate has been successful, and just because, and even though I truly believe that drawing between five and eight thousand fans to your four big shows a year is an accomplishment in this era, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to harp back to this that it's a Hall of Fame level accomplishment. And then there's also the question of 
how many of those shows that did draw well, was he the primary draw? Because we know they cycle their main eventers in and out in that company too. So there were probably a bunch of those shows where he worked the second match or the third match. And I didn't really research it hard enough to, to, to pinpoint that, but Rich, you know, as well as I do, yeah. that's probably the case. Um, so, you know, look, you know, do I think Shima is a draw? I absolutely think he's a draw. I think he, and again, he created a company from scratch during the worst time in history to create a company in Japan right. and look, and look how far they've come. And those are all feathers in this cap. I'm just not sure if they're hall of fame feathers as a worker. Same thing. I think Shima has been part of some of the best multi-man matches of all time. The problem is he doesn't have a long list of singles matches that, that are among the greatest matches of all time. And that's what I like to see out of a hall of fame caliber worker. Um, look, I think he's a great worker. I really do, especially within his style. The guy's smooth as fuck. He's great at what he does. Uh, you know, he, he, he's always over with the, with the live crowds. I, I, I'm not sure. I hesitate to say he's a Hall of Fame level worker. I could be convinced very easily that he is. The influence box, I'm 100% with Rich. This is actually his strongest argument. I think the Dragon Gate influence uh, is, is – uh, I'm not going to repeat everything Rich said. Now, I will say this. I thought Keith Harris made a great point on our message board uh, in that I don't think he's going to do well in the voting because I don't think Dragon Gate gets the same level of respect in Japan as the other promotions do. And it's reflected in the Tokyo Sports Awards every year and, and the other various awards you see in Japan. Dragon Gate is kind of the redheaded stepchild of Puro in Japan because they, they're not a traditional Puro style. Uh, you know, they kind of do their own thing. They don't really, you know, occasionally they'll, they'll, they'll trade talent with other promotions. or, or yeah, but, but they're basically isolationists. They stay in their lane. They do their thing, and it, it, they really don't promote it the way the other companies promote their wrestling like a sport. They, they, they gear it towards children. They gear it towards women. In the past, they geared it towards gay men. They, had, you know, they, they went after different areas, and look, that's fine. Drawing money is drawing money. It doesn't matter how you do it, but the point here is I don't think they get the respect in the Japanese media or among the Japanese fans that aren't Dragon Gate-specific fans that the other promotions do, and I think that's going to hurt him in the voting in terms of uh, from the native Japanese voters. So I think he's going to struggle in that area too. And I thought that was a good point brought up by uh, Harris. And I thought it was worth bringing up. But I'm close on Shima. I can easily, when I'm, when I'm rubbing my chin at 11.58 and going over my last minute uh, decisions, type his name in there. I could easily see myself doing that. Um, I, I do think that uh, I view him as either the second or third strongest candidate on this ballot. And um, I, I may ultimately end up voting for him. All right, move on here. Uh, Akiyama is a guy that you and I both voted for, Joe. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Akiyama? I'm probably going to echo most of what you say, so I'll let you kind of take the lead here because I know you're a big Akiyama guy. Without question, a Hall of Fame level worker. In fact, um, I wouldn't argue very hard with someone who, called, who, who, who would call this guy a top 10 worker of all time. I think he's that good. So right there you're in, in my book. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I, he, he may have a stronger – look, he never headlined a WrestleMania, okay? But I think overall he's got a stronger drawing resume than Daniel Bryan does if, if you want to make the North American comp. And I think that uh, – uh, I think he, he, he's a, a much – and while his drawing resume may be similar to a guy we're going to talk about in Tauway, I think he's a much stronger worker than Tauway. Um, the thing that bothers me about Akiyama though and the only thing that makes me hesitate – voting for him is the fact that, um, you know, all Japan is just inches from death. And the, the fact that, and, and, and in fact, all Japan did die with him effectively as the top star and then restarted 
because he kept the company alive. Um, so, you know, it, and, and the reason that makes me uncomfortable is it bothers me. If you're a hall, if you're a true hall of fame star, you shouldn't be realistically the top star in a dying promotion. That bothers me a little, but with that said, he's 44 years old or whatever it is. His best days are clearly behind him. He's obviously not a draw anymore. He was at one point, maybe not at a Hall of Fame level, uh, but he listen. He headlined his share of uh, uh, of big shows. Okay, so you know he's nothing to sneeze at either as a draw. But the the bottom line is this guy was such a and he was such a great worker from his very first match that I think it's 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 look. There's very smart people who follow Japanese wrestling very closely who called this guy the best wrestler of the previous decade in Japan. Okay, our good friend Alan says yeah. Junakiyama is the best wrestler in the decade of the 2000s in Japan. And look at the competition he was facing. Yeah, he's not exactly going up against slouches here. Okay, this guy's a great worker. He's a Hall of Fame level worker. That's enough for me. But I think that the, uh, the, the, uh, he does tick the box somewhat uh, in terms of being – he brings something to the table as a draw too. I think he's very similar to Daniel Bryan. I move on here to other guys. I, I, I echo your thoughts as well. I think just as a worker, it, it's super strong, and I think influence thing is relatively strong. But I think the, the biggest thing is the worker. I, I think that's you know the draw. You could sort of argue, disagree. You know, the all Japan thing is not certainly helping him right now. But I, I think as a worker, he's a guy that uh, when I started this process, I said, you know, I haven't watched enough Junaki. Let me really go. Let me really, really look at this guy and really study him and and. The stuff I saw from Akiyama, it was just so, so good. And I, I probably watched about 30, 40 of his matches. And I said, yeah, this this is a guy. This is a guy I feel very confident voting for. I, I, I think it just in-ring is, is great there. So, so I'm right still, with you And he's one. still a great worker to this day. Oh, yeah. He's, he's changed his style a little bit. But, yeah, he, and that's – I love that, too, when a guy can sort of evolve with his – you know, body and, and that's a guy who's not doing what he did when he first came and not doing what he did even 10 years ago. But it, it, like, cause when I went through and I was looking at his matches, I was jumping back and forth between, you know, you know, 91 and then, you know, or, or 91, 92, 93, and then go into like today and then go into like 2005 and just seeing the difference of him. And, and it was, it was just amazing. Cause it's like watching, you know, three different workers, but all of it's good. And that's, that's, that's a big feather in his cap. I think he's an all-time great worker. So you got, you got him as the feisty youngster. You got him as mm-hmm. the, the, the ace. And now you have him as the grumpy veteran. Yeah, and it's, it's great. And he's great at all. And he's still a great. I'd still argue he's, he might be a top 10 worker in the world right now. I yeah. mean, at 44 years old. So um, I love the, you know. the amount of opponents, too. I mean, that's a guy who, whose debut was against, you know, Kenta Kobashi. And then now he's having great matches with Suwama. You know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. just this weird, like, in between. He's like a, a six degrees of separation of, like, Japanese. I mean, you could do so much with this guy. And, and he doesn't look like he's lost, like, that much of a step. You know what I mean? He's obviously older and he's going through, you know, what would happen when you're, when you're older or whatever. But it's not like this guy's a shell of his former self. Like, he looks like he can go another, like, five, six years at, like, a really good pace. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like tomorrow he's going to break down. I mean, he's still very, very good. Yeah, to me, all-time great worker. So, uh, other guys that I voted for, um, uh, Tawe. Let, let's talk about Tawe a little bit. He was a guy who, uh, is, as well as Akiyama, I went through and watched a lot of his classic tag matches, a lot of his classic matches. Um, a guy that I sort of went on the fence with, I, I said yes now, He's a guy I wave around almost a daily basis. Joe, what are your thoughts on Tawe and what what makes him a, a contender and what doesn't in your mind? I, th- I think I'm going to disappoint you because you you know I thought you thought you were going to get some big time great debate here. Um, but I have no problem with anybody who votes for him. I have no problem if he gets in. I just can't, and I want to vote for him so badly. 
and I've wanted to vote for him, you know, for a couple years now in the worst way, and I cannot pull the trigger. Uh, 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 you know, I've, I've I've heard the arguments that if you have the other three in, you can't leave out Ringo. You know what I mean? That's the big argument that was made on right. uh, another podcast, and I disagree with that. Um, you know, I, look, I, I can uh, look. I do think he was important, an important part of that dynamic, but um, let me make this comparison. You know, the Big Red Machine is one of the greatest offenses in baseball history. Uh, you know, you don't have to put Dave Concepcion in the Hall of Fame just because, uh, you know, Joe Morgan, John, Johnny Bench, and Tony Perez are in the Hall of Fame. Okay, you know, we can just concede that Dave Concepcion was a really good player, an important part of the team. That doesn't necessarily make him Hall. We don't have to put him in because the other guys are in. You know what I mean? And I know that's not apples to apples or whatnot, but it's kind of the best way I can make my point here. He never struck me as being on the level of the other three. And granted, it's a really fucking high bar to clear, okay? Because you're talking about three three of the greatest wrestlers in the history of wrestling. But he just never struck me at that level. And he, even on rewatches, he just doesn't strike me as a Hall of Famer. This is a guy who in his own time with his own contemporaries had the nickname of two left feet Taui. I mean, I mean, come on. I, you know, and look, he worked, he kind of worked to that. He understood he wasn't the most athletic guy, and he was a grump, and he used choke slams and shit like that, and he didn't try to be something he wasn't, which is to his credit. But um, I just, I look, I just, I just never saw him as a guy that was at a Hall of Fame level, and I still don't. I, I don't know if I ever will. With that said, doesn't bo- wouldn't bother me at all if he got in. I would completely understand. Mm. With anybody who voted for him, I think I think he could get in. I think there's enough groundswell for to get him in. I, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I think it's going to happen very soon. For well, him. let me ask you this, Rich: of the candidates on the Japan ballot, not just who we voted for, but yeah. um, go through the list. Like aside from Akiyama, who who in total do you think could get in this year on this ballot? <sighs> I don't know if Akiyama is going to get in. I know Joe and I are voting for him. I don't think he's going to get in. I think I Volkan. Don't think I don't think Akiyama's getting. No, I think like we're like the twenty. There's like twenty percent or so. I think that I, that's about the number that I think he's going to. Volkan, I believe, absolutely will get in. There's enough of a groundswell of people that I think are into him. For me, he just does nothing for me, and that's another one of those style bias things where like I went and I really, really tried this year. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch all these Volkan matches. Uh, Dave Musgrave on Place to Be Nation had a great article where he he basically went. The guy only has you know a handful of matches, so we watched literally every Volkan match and talked about it. And and I appreciate people that love the style, but man, I was my eyes were just bleeding when it was over. I was like, I, I it's just not for me. It's it's. Can I can know. I quickly jump in here? Yeah. This is the part of the podcast where we make everybody mad because exactly, I, have, the Volcan part, I, yeah. I have a Volcan rant. That okay. I would like to go on. Keep it, Volcan, keep it short-ish. <laughs> it'll be short-ish. Volcan is in no way, shape, or form a Hall of Famer, and I really do not understand these people who are enamored with this guy. First of all, he wrestled less than 100 matches in his entire career. You're disqualified. You, the guy, the guy has. I think, seven, I think it's very less than a less than a hundred. I believe it's I like. Just, no, I was. Isn't less I was, than I was, twenty? I think it's like. No, 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 no. I was studying him today. He he has seventy-seven matches on record. That's the okay, highest right. number I found. The highest number I found was seventy-seven matches okay. on record in rings before they went back to being a shoot fighting organization. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. Because business went into shitter. They went back to doing shoots. He has seventy-seven. That's the. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. The highest confirmed number I found of worked matches is 77 matches. Okay. Automatically. How can you even, I don't give a shit if this guy was, was the greatest worker ever, which a lot of people think he was. How can you put someone in the hall of fame who had 77 matches? I'm sorry. He's disqualified right off the bat. As far as his work goes, rich, I'm like you. I sat, first of all, I've seen, I've tried. It's been two years now. I've tried. I'm done now. I've seen these Volkan matches. 
I sat back down with an open mind and I watched all this shit again. And I really am not seeing why people think this guy is so great. I, look, he's okay. I don't see what makes him so much better than uh, Kiyoshi Tamura. In yeah, I was going to say, it's a Tamura sort of stood out to me when I watched the match. I went, oh, this, guy, this guy's pretty good. I enjoyed this. I'm, I'm, it's funny because I'm right with you. I actually <laughs> think Tamura's better. Right. I came away from the, when, the, when they wrestled each other thinking Tamura was the one who jumped off my screen. Yeah, right Volkan is dry. He has no charisma. And, and I mean, yeah, I guess he's all right at this worked grappling. Not, it, the matches are very hard to hold. They're only like – most of his matches are less than 15 minutes. And they They're still less than 15, have, but I still – yeah, I'm, I'm still – I still drift in and out. Yeah. I can't – they don't hold my attention. I'm not seeing it. I mean, I don't see why this guy is considered such a transcendent worker. I'm not buying it. And even if I did buy it, he wrestled 77 matches in his fucking life. And it's not like he was some outstanding draw either. I mean, him and Tamora were on top, and the company failed. The company failed, and they had to go back to doing shoot fights. <laughs> well, what what, I find what is the argument for this guy? The, the biggest argument that I've seen, and I'll let Rob, because I know, Rob, you were trying to jump in there for a sec, but the biggest argument that I've seen is he's the best ever at that style or whatever. But I, to me, that's not – I mean, if it's a niche style that – you know, being the best ever at a style, you know, means something. I don't even if think it's he's a, better than Tamura. Yeah, I, I, I it, and even if, even if he is, even if you concede that he is the best ever at that style, is it really a style that's like a Hall of Fame worthy? Like, you know, saying you're the best ever at that style it, to me is it's okay. It's a promotion that ran once a month. That's what I mean. It's like, all right. I mean, what did it mean in the grand scheme of things? Like, I, I you know, if you're the best eight man tag wrestler of all time, does that mean you're in the Hall of Fame? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just. It, it, it to me it's 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 shallow praise and I, I just don't get it. I, I really think it's just insulting don't. to vote for a guy whose promotion ran once a month and he has seventy matches under his belt. And you know if and look, granted, maybe we're not the run, the right ones to speak on this because we're not fans of the style. We don't understand. Listen, I watch a guy like Timothy Thatcher, who everyone knows I'm not a fan of, and I think Thatcher blows this guy out of the water. I don't even think it's close. Agreed. Now, granted. It's not apples apples. There's more striking with what Thatcher is doing. It, it's but let's face it. It's the evolution of the same style. We're kidding ourselves if if we say that it isn't. And I'll take I'll take Thatcher over this guy every day of the week. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. And Volkan got fifty one percent last year. I wanted to check. So yeah. I think he's in. I think he's absolutely in this year. Well, the thing is, he's on. He's in danger of falling off. So he's going to mm-hmm. get that big push. I think he's going to get in too. And I think he would be one of the least deserving Hall of Famers. I agree. If he got in. I really do. I, I just don't. This guy does not jump off the screen when I watch him. I can't even look conceding style bias. Even when I watch the guy in, in even in within his matches, Tamora jumps off the screen more than he does. Mm-hmm. I got the same vibe. He did. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right with you on that. So I mean, we might be on an island ourselves, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't believe Volkan gets in just because of the sheer number over the last you know, few years where I've been voting on this and, you know, listening to how people talk and, oh, this guy's going to get in based on the number and he's in danger of falling off and all this. I, until someone gets in for that last big push because of the danger of falling off, I just won't believe that it's that big enough of an increase that's going to push these guys over the top. Because, I mean, yeah, he went up 9% over the last couple of years, <laughs> um, but he has to do exactly that uh, to get on here. And I just don't know if you know, 50% to 60% of the people are going to be uh, voting for this guy. And so I'll, I'll say no, just on the basis of, of the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and he mentioned Timothy Thatcher, Joe did. And, and that's what I was going to kind of jump in and ask before asking a question of Joe, like in 10 years, are we going to be talking about Timothy Thatcher in the hall of fame? Because he was the best at the grapple fuck style. Like, now, to, now, to be fair, to be fair, Volkan did headline some shows that did 11,000 fans, 8,000 fans, 7,000. Oh, Rings did some pretty good business. 
uh, but it didn't sustain. And, and look, they ran once a month. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, and, and Rob, let me ask you this, you know, obviously, uh, I don't. I, I have no idea if you researched Volcan the way that me and Rich did, or if you know anything about. If you've ever even seen a Volcan match. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So great. So then you do know something about him. But um, even regardless of that, Rob, what is your stance on someone who's wrestled seventy matches? And that's exactly. Hall of Fame and match? that's what I wanted to. Add. And I want to get this perception out there because I haven't studied the past of Japan, not because I am ignorant to it, but because I needed. I wanted to focus on other things as far as what I was researching. There's a finite amount of time in the day. So exactly. Fortunately, and, and, we all can't do. Exactly. And to the person on the Wrestling Observer board who says, well, I, I should get a ballot if Rob McCarron and these randos get a ballot because he's never stepped foot in a ring. Fuck yeah, I have. So fuck you, all right? They, um, they use that as your reference for why you couldn't get a ballot? Yeah. If, That's the worst If some of these use. people who've been in the ring can't get a ballot, but Rob McCarron, who's never stepped in a ring, has. That's a, that's a, that's a legendary uh, Midwestern referee. I've been in the ring more times with Ricochet than almost any other referee in the business, all right? Except for God Bryce Remsburg, yeah. most likely. So fuck off, you. I've I've worked AJ Styles and Joker. Yeah, um, Louie all the, I don't know. You know what? I mean, I know you're kind of being facetious. I know, Lou. No, no. He's been a referee. What? He deserves I'm being... I'm being facetious to the point. Yeah, I'm being facetious to the point of being in okay. the ring. I apologize. But I am not being <laughs> I think facetious. You're yelling. No. Come on. Okay, I am yelling. Don't I'm sorry. Don't worry about the dog. I, don't worry about the dog. I, I think my dog is, is, is don't worry about the dog. you're yelling. I am oh, I am not being facetious to the fact that I've been in the ring. Because if you're gonna say, you know, why does Rob McCarron get in the ballot? He's never been in the ring, he's a random. I have been in the ring. I don't care about the number of times and who I've been in the ring with. That part was facetious. But I, I've been in the ring. I've gone through what a lot of the indie guys before they were stars who have striven up. Like I was right there when Chuck Taylor and Ricochet just started out on bigger mainstream promotions as far as the indie world. So I've been in the ring. So fuck off. But the oh, number yeah, listen, you you and, and that's and that's absolutely what I'm what I was gonna say is <laughs> when's the last time Dave Meltzer took a bump? Right. I mean that's just such a dumb argument. Well, yeah, I, I wanna I wanna get to the question you just asked, and I, I actually had a question for you that was on the same vein. Uh before I get to that point, Dave kind of intimates as far as Volcan goes, where the support about him being a great worker is because he came in with limited experience. I mean, he even says as much. I mean, he talks about how he was such a good worker with limited experience right from the start. Kind of like Kurt Angle was. Like Kurt Angle blew away expectations for how much training he had done. But it didn't mean he was great early on. He just blew away expectations. Um, but the number of matches, 80-whatever matches or 80 matches at the time. 77. What, 77 matches. That's not a lie. That's a short number. You can't gauge experience. Like That's kind of those who are calling for Ichiro Suzuki to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame in the first five years. Like, you know, he was on pace to do it, yeah. But I don't know about early on. Um, the number of matches thing, though, is there a... A limit? Is there a minimum number of matches someone may have? Because I feel 77 is too small to gauge on anything, no matter how spread out it was. But is there a minimum number of matches? I don't know if you can throw a number out there and say X amount of matches is the minimum. But here's what I know, Rob. I know that 77 is not enough. I, and um, I, just because it fits in the Hall of Fame debate, I want to ask both of you to guess. And I'm not doing this because it's going to be a surprising number, but because Brock Lesnar doesn't work a lot of matches nowadays. How many matches total do you think Brock Lesnar has? What would you put the numbers at, Joe, for Brock Lesnar? How many years was he before the how how many years was the first run? His his first year in or first run in WWE was 2 years and he did, you know, uh the OVW before that. So he was in wrestling, you know, a lot. I'm going to uh, say a minimum, a minimum of 100 matches a year cuz he was doing house shows those first 2 years. 
but I know that this is obviously a setup, so the number is going to be smaller than you would think. Um, I would say Brock Lesnar has about 225 matches under his belt. I was going to go 185 was going to be my guess. 164. Ah, you know, I, 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 I knew it was somewhere around there. Is 164 based on the fact that they were so spread out and he was working full-time for three years until he came to this new part-timer role? Is 164 too small or is it somewhere in between that and the 77? No, I feel like, like I said, I don't think you can throw a, uh, just throw a number on it. I don't think you can arbitrarily say 100 is enough, 75 is enough, 200 is enough, 1,000 is enough. Um, I think we got a pretty good feel for what Brock Lesnar yeah. is. And the other thing with Brock Lesnar is he's got two different lives as a pro wrestler as well, where uh, you know this run is distinctly different from the first run. And he's also worked in, uh, you know, in Japan as well. Very briefly, we've we've yeah. seen plenty of Brock Lesnar. This guy wrestled seventy-seven matches for the same company within the same short time frame. And and to me, I, again, I don't care how good you are. That, that that's insulting to these guys. Look at a guy like Shima. The guy works a full-time, uh, hard schedule for the last decade, where the guy's working. You know, I guess you can look that up too. I'm sure he's working, you know, 200 matches a year over the last decade, and it's like, you know, it's it's incomparable to me. It's just, and and I find it insulting. Actually, I actually find it insulting uh, that that it and and, and leave out the fact that he wasn't even that good. He's so overhyped. I mean, you can make an argument. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to go down that road. I'm probably (laughs) pissing up people off. I think he might be the most overrated professional wrestler in the history of the business. Because uh, basically, uh, just to clarify for the Shima thing, since about 2002, he's been wrestling basically about 130 plus matches a year. There, there's a few little year. dips here and there, but for the most part, uh, up to you know his high is you know 170, 185 a few years as well. So there basically, people- basically 150 is is about the average we can probably put at it. When you consider that there are people who legitimately think this guy might be the greatest wrestler ever, and I've heard people say that, and when I watch him, I don't even I rarely think he's the best guy in his own match. I think it's look. I, I think it's fair to say that there's you can make an argument he's the most overrated wrestler of all time. Uh, going down the list here, you know, Rob, you mentioned other guys that I think are going to go in. Um, there's not a whole lot else. I think Nakamura is going to go in as well. Just breaking down, I guess we can kind of go, go up and down this list here. We talked about Volkan. Well, before uh, before oh, you sorry, do that, I want to. So to uh, Joe's last point, Shima has over 2,300 matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Brock Lesnar. So what I was looking at apparently wasn't the accurate number. It is 370 because what I was looking at was his uh, WWE only. Oh, so it looks like go. it was 370, which oh, is okay. still. But you compare that to what Shima had done. I mean, year wise, they're both in pretty similar years. But, you know, 400 to 2400, quite the difference there. Um, but, yeah, as far as getting in, I don't even know if I would. I think Nakamura suffers from what Joe spoke to earlier about being a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think people are going to hold him off a year. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that, that'll. He's going to be a very, very interesting case in, in terms of percentage wise, because I think we're going to get a good idea. Um, and another thing I really love too is seeing the breakdown of uh, historians versus you know journalists versus you know wrestlers or whatever, and see what his breakdown is. I could see him doing really well in journalists and maybe not so well in the other ones. And I wonder if that would affect him or, or whatever, but he's gonna be a very interesting case. I, you know, I think he's going to get in, but, but I, 
you could be right too, Rob. I think people could be a little weary of of his first time on the ballot and sort of, especially with the fifteen year rule. Yeah. Uh, with people, maybe I, they're I, looking at, at people that are falling off and saying, "No, I got to get this guy." Right. In. You know, Nakamura's got fourteen more years to be on this ballot. You know. Yeah, I don't see it as being like a spiteful thing. Like I don't think he was as good, so I'm not going to put him on the first ballot. Sure. I think it's more of just a there's other people to vote for, and his career is nowhere close to over. Uh, let's go down the list here, because uh, otherwise, you know, I voted for Mike and Ben Sharp and Tawai. Yep. We talked about that one or whatever. Uh, Gordon Gordieko, I, I know nothing about him, and I don't really know why he's in Japan, but, you know. The and majority the majority of his career seemed to have been spent in other places. And uh, obviously, right. none of us lived through his prime. So, uh, <laughs> you know. I, you didn't, Joe? Uh, in fact, I did not. So, okay. you know, I, it's baffling why he's in this category, though. I think someone asked Dave, and he said that he's best remembered in Japan. So okay. I, everything that I read didn't beg to differ, but that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. I read numerous things about him when I was doing my research for the, the stuff and, and – it seemed like Canada was his biggest one, but that's okay. Whatever. Uh, Kimura, again, like he was like the fifties. You know, okay. I have a, even, I thing, have, but... I have a bigger problem with him because this is not a judo hall of fame. Okay. Right, that was right. a pro wrestler in the Ricky Dozan era. There's the famous story of Ricky Dozan shooting on him and, and that's a, funny, off that's a fun fight. Have you ever seen that thing? The push he was going to get and whatnot. But I mean, I don't, I don't see how this guy has any sort of case either. other than he has a finishing move obviously named after him that we remember yeah that, <laughs> right. i mean you know so it's like i i don't get it man but you know it that's you know in their culture if they consider him a pro wrestler i you know what well, how does he do in the voting does he he does like terrible he does like 18 percent. he gets like uh here, here's the breakdown 2012 he had 28 2013 he had 16 and 2014 he had 23 so he's this, he's this just gonna hover is, there in like 20s for until he falls you know off what? he is the kind he's the perfect he's exhibit a of why the 15 rules and, and the 15 years and get the hell out of here is a good rule because what the fuck is the point of keeping a guy like this on the? He's never getting in. He's been dead for like forty years I am or whatever. All in favor of the fifteen years and get the fuck out of here. If you can't, if you haven't gotten in in fifteen years, get please get him off the ballot. They're not getting in at that point. And plus, Dave will save you if you're over fifty. If you're close, you stay on. Right. So he even throws you a life raft. So if you're 15 years on the ballot and you're still not even getting close, why are we wasting time with these people on the ballot? I am so in favor of that rule and then if you do if you do do something significant to earn your way he'll put you back on exactly so what's the big deal cut the fat i'm all in favor of cutting the kimuras off the ballot go ahead all right uh kojima and tenzan ten koji i I wrote in my little article here that it's it's funny and joe you we and i talked you know you and i talked about this last year these guys are probably better candidates on their own than they are as a tag team so i find it kind of odd that they're on as a tag team but i see no chance that they get in and i see them falling off the ballot this year they have no chance of getting in they are better candidates um uh individually rather than than as a team specifically tenzan i mean tenzan is is Tenzan, you can make a legit case. I think in a few years, people would probably make a legit case for Tenzan. I don't think he's in, but people can make a case for Tenzan. But as Tenkoji as the team, no. I mean, it, it's almost like the, the Tenkoji team should be a supporting aspect of their individual wrestling. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know why they're in together. It's it, it, it's really strange. I, I don't I don't like it. It's icky. And I can't wait till they're it's off just the ballot. It's just gross. It just makes me, it, it really does. I see it and I'm just like, yeah, why? Like it, it, I'm trying to think of a comp in America that for people that don't really quite know. I'm trying, Joe, do you have one that you could think of of like a, because both yes, those guys are I like legit like stars. Like, but it's, yeah, who, who do you have? A perfect comp. If Hall and Nash were on the ballot together. Right, would, okay, yeah, that's perfect, yeah. Yeah. It, like they, the outsiders what, instead of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were, were right. They, the they'd be stronger individually, and then you can factor in the outsiders as part of their right, resume. That's a good one. That's exactly 
that's that's almost a carbon copy of what we have here. Uh, Yuji Nagata, I, I don't see him getting in anytime soon, nor do I really think he should either. I like Nagata, I, but it's just it's not there. I could see the argument for Nagata if you're really high on his work. And if he was just, unfortunately, like a couple of the other guys here, was a, a star during a dead period. And But it is what it is, you know? I mean, it's if he was a Hall of Famer, maybe he would have popped business a little better. But I, I don't vote for him either. Uh, Mike and Ben Sharp are guys that I, I think are maybe going to go in this year, or at least in the next few years. They're guys that I voted for. Just doing some research and looking at stuff. Influence is huge there. These guys are the original Gaijins, and we, we sort of talk about stuff. And, and, and Joe, I think you and I are of the theory that, you know, things happen. And you said it, it, it circumstances are circumstances. These guys were the first to do it. So you know what? I'm, <laughs> I have to give them credit. Maybe they're not the best to do it. Maybe they're not the most, in, but, you know, they kind of set the stage for what we see a huge part of Japanese wrestling now is, is, you know, importing American talent and, and having American talent be a big part of the show. And they were, they were the ones that started it. So, Hey, I got to give it to them. I listen, I have no problem if they get in and I've thought about voting for him in the past. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Uh, Minoru Suzuki. He's a current guy. One of my favorites on the, uh, you know, in the current, you know, Japanese wrestling landscape, but just for me, this doesn't do it for me. Okay. So how can you vote? How can anyone vote for Volkan and then not vote for Minoru Suzuki? Okay, let's look at this. Very similar style early early in the career. Mm -hmm. Okay, Suzuki was working a very similar style. Suzuki's career is uh, I don't know four times as long as Volkan's career. He's a great professional wrestler. I would argue he blows Volkan away uh, between the ropes, but okay, that's a matter of taste. Minoru Suzuki has headlined Tokyo Dome. She headlined Wrestle Kingdom Five that drew thirty thousand fans. When did Volkan? When did Volk 